This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang's all here gathered Hopefully for your benefit. We uh, we do the show every day to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Top of the morning to you. Holy cow, by the way, face the fear, face your fears day is today is what we're celebrating. You got you got to face your fear. The decision is yours. Do you want to stop here or face your fear? I'll face the fear. He's facing his fear. He's facing his fear. <laughs> you got to face your fear, folks. And uh, so what is it out there that terrifies you? Well, uh, it could be politics. Today we'll be talking with Joe Cannon about politics. Uh, that is pretty scary. And there are some topics that maybe you don't bring up. Maybe you do bring up. Uh, we may be bringing up like one like Columbus Day. Many are questioning, do you even celebrate Columbus Day? Oh, come on. My father-in-law gets Columbus Day off. I didn't. I didn't get Columbus Day off. But the guy that delivered our mattress did. I didn't get Columbus Day off either when I went to uh, elementary school. I remember making little arts and crafts yeah. about Columbus Day. But this is when you make the big – this is when you get ready for Thanksgiving, the big uh, Thanksgiving arts and crafts day. <laughs> it's kind of a controversial holiday. It is. It is. We'll be talking about that a bit with Joe Cannon. It's also World Mental Health Day. Mental health problems ranging from issues like depression, anxiety disorders, schizophrenia affect millions of people around the world. And in fact, according to current statistics, one in four people will experience some kind of mental health problem during their lifetime. Many more will see their friends, family members affected by it. So it's probably time we move that to the forefront and start talking about mental health. We do it all the time on the show. I mean, in a variety of ways. You know what I mean? A lot of it, it's questioning people's mental well, health at some level. Well, yeah. And, but, but that's not always the best thing either. No, but I mean, yeah. the stories we end up talking we about. We tell a lot of stories extreme, of people so. that, that have kind of lost themselves. Maybe yeah. a, lot a bunch of, of real dummies. Uh-huh. There's that. And then there's, and then there's the president <laughs> that brings up mental health regularly. He's bragging about his IQ now. Oh, is he? Yeah, we'll get to that later. <laughs> Plus, tragedy uh, in Napa Valley, Sonoma County, all of these, the wine country of America is on fuego. It is, it's burning down. Ten people have died so far. It's, uh, it's crazy. We do, we have a lot of fires in the West, but this seems incredibly bad. Ten are dead. I think 1,500 homes have been destroyed. Uh, thousands of people without power, thousands of people have been um, uh, have lost their homes or are not able to be at their home. So unbelievable stuff going on in uh, Sonoma Valley, which, by the way, is one of the most Napa Valley. That area is probably one of the most beautiful places very beautiful. in this country. Yeah. Fires hmm. now in Anaheim Hills, too, which is really close to home for me. Really? I'm from Anaheim. So how did, the, how did the Dodgers do, by the way? Uh, they swept the Diamondbacks and don't have to play again until Saturday. See? So there's Can- something to celebrate. Joe Cannon's going to be extremely uh, elated yeah. this morning. But again, the people in Anaheim Hills, that's scary as well. Yeah. Boy, fire. And again, if only we could take the hurricane water and have the hurricanes over the fires, problem solved. 
If only it worked that way. It just doesn't work that way, does it? It never works that way. So we'll get to all of that fun uh, and just sad, uh, difficult times for a lot of people. 57,000 acres of land. And uh, who better to help us understand it all than Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country? More than 100 people have been reported missing in the 15 wildfires raging in Northern California in the hours after much of the city of Santa Rosa was reduced to ash and rubble on Monday. This fire leveled entire neighborhoods. Have you seen the photographs? Yeah. You see suburbia, everything looks normal. Next picture, ash. Entire neighborhood. You see the roads, but no houses. Like entire subdivisions. That's just gutted. Crazy. The fires have already killed at least 10, wounded at least 100 more. Blazes have swept across the heart of the, prized, the, the state's prized wine country, hitting several counties, including Napa and Sonoma, and destroying at least 1,500 homes and businesses. At least 20,000 people were forced to evacuate, including uh, crowded local hospitals. Governor uh, Jerry Brown in California declared a state of emergency on Monday. Santa Rosa, a city of 175,000 people. The approaching fires flattened landmark buildings, mm. including several hotels full of tourists drawn into the region's uh, vineyards. I was, I was saying there was a golf tournament over the weekend. People were in those hotels when they were told to evacuate. But, of course, you know, you don't yeah. live there. Where are you going to go? It's amazing. Yeah. In the pictures, homes are devastated and gone, but trees are still around them. So yeah. trees wow. made it. Homes didn't. Unbelievable. In other news, 10 days after issuing a waiver allowing foreign ships to provide aid to Puerto Rico, the Trump administration has let it expire. Trump was previously criticized for hesitating to suspend the centuries-old Jones Act, which prohibits foreign ships from bringing goods from one U.S. port to another for Puerto Rico immediately after Hurricane Maria, particularly because he had issued such waivers following what he had issued such waivers following Harvey and Irma. Much of Puerto Rico still short on fuel and water. Though that is due to part of distribution issues rather than lack of supplies. So the whole thing with the Jones Act, just let that go. Now they're yeah. going to have a tough time getting supplies in there. Now they're uh. So supplies in and supplies throughout the the, uh, the island are all becoming an issue. Uh, frustrated by his cabinet and angry that he is not receiving enough credit for his handling of three successive hurricanes, President Trump is now lashing out, rupturing alliances and imperiling his legislative agenda, according to a story in the Washington Post. In a matter of days, Trump has torched bridges all around him, nearly imploded an informal deal with Democrats to protect young undocumented immigrants brought to the country as children, and plunged himself into culture wars on issues ranging from birth control to the national anthem. Trump, in recent days, has shown flashes of fury, left his aides, including White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, scrambling to manage his outbursts. One Trump confidant likened the president to a whistling teapot, Saying that when he does not blow off steam, he can turn into a pressure cooker and explode. He's going to blow! Many in the White House say that the, they appreciate the discipline structure Kelly has implemented, but has left Trump without the free-flowing conversations with staff and outsiders that he has come to relish, which is how he blows off steam. He talks yeah. to just random people walking through the White House. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> Apparently. He's like yelling out the out of the, his office door. Hey! And he went golfing yesterday. What are you doing? Because it was Columbus Day. Wow. Oh, is that a big golf day? Well, I, I, I'm wondering if that's how he also blows off steam. Gets get out on the golf course, get some eight, get 18 in, and you know, it just makes him feel better. Oh, sure. But locking him in his office, well, except that's not going to work. Which isn't a problem. Go golf all you want. Just don't make fun of every other president that did. <laughs> just it's all situational, Matt. Yeah, that's right. Now, how long do you want to live, Matt? Seven more years. About seven. What? And then you're done? Yeah, I think I'd be 55. Come on. No, I I want to live as long as my body is functioning. Okay. 
I'd like to live. What about 150? No, definitely oh. not. Definitely not. These researchers say that could become a reality. Do you know how bad you would look? I know. And do you know how thin your skin would be? Oof. Everybody so, you love would be gone. Why would you stick around? Well, unless they're all living as long as you I are. guess that's so true. So a new study says that older research that caps the age limits around 115 years old is outdated. Researchers at McGill University in Montreal found no evidence that maximum lifespan has stopped increasing. That conclusion is based on the analysis of annual lifespan data reaching back to the 1968. The focus was on longest living people called supercentarians, people who reached the age of 110 in the U.S., U.K., and Japan. Yeah. Because we just don't know what the limit may be. In fact, by extending trend lines, we can show that maximum and average lifespans could continue to increase far into the foreseeable future, says the study's co-author. Longevity huh. caps change with time. In the 20s, the average U.S. life expectancy was 54 years old. Wow. So you would have seven years left-ish. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. The estimate jumps to 75 years in 1990. <laughs> Maximum lifespan seems to follow the same increasing trend. It says, before, before you start hoarding too many birthday candles, so yeah. hold your horses there. A study released in October of, uh, I think, last year by science. No, let's see. What's the date on this? Yeah. Earlier this month, by scientists at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Didn't oh, know that boy. place yeah, existed. No, that sounds like a great place. to live up to there. says it may not be possible to extend life beyond the ages that have already been recorded, with 115 years likely to be a human's maximum lifespan. Uh, no, hello, Methuselah in the Bible, 969 years. <laughs> they may have, That's a good point. They may have recorded time differently. Then the flood, then the flood got him. Researchers found that any given year, the odds that at least one person in the world will live past 125 years are less than 1 in 10,000. Some have come close. A woman in Italy passed away last April at 117. Oh, wow. A woman in France at 122. Mm. And 168 days. Man alive. So she's 122 years and 168 days. So, so my kid would ugh. say she's 122 and a half. Yeah, pretty much. So 300 year, years ago, many people lived only short lives. If we would have told them one day most humans might live to 100, they would have said we were crazy. You know, the new yeah. mantra is uh, 150 is the new 125. It is true. Yeah. <laughs> it's yoga. That's what that's what yoga does. Yeah. And um, I think you can get away with a lot, though, when you're older. Oh, yeah. Because they just revere you. And everyone – I just don't want everyone to look at me like, what? You're still alive? Yeah. That look of – Come on. How long are you going to hang on? My kids want an inheritance. And if I live that long, they're not getting one. What I want to know is what is the cutoff age at which point you can just say, you know what? I'm doing whatever I want. I, I just don't care 47. anymore. 47. 47. <laughs> You're in trouble. I'm doing whatever I want. You, you still have to, you know, there's still social norms and mores. But then, I mean, you know, you get a little, you get a little dementia, and you're free. You're free to do whatever you want. My my grandma had Alzheimer's. We yeah. went out to eat with her one time. She wanted to order her dessert first, and my See? mom said, "You can't do that." She's like, "I want my dessert first. Oh, I'm going to have my dessert I would first. Just send her to timeout. Send your mom. <laughs> get out of here. Wow. Holy cow, that's amazing. Yeah, Methuselah, nine hundred and sixty-nine. I bet he looked horrible. I don't want to judge a past. What do you think you look like at 700? Oh, great. Spry? Spry. Nice. They're doing amazing things with uh, Botox these days. <laughs> so <laughs> be interesting they, to see what they, they would do. They did have uh, botulism back then. <laughs> they, had, they had a lot of interesting uh, things. Um, yeah, I don't want it. I can't even keep my ankle healthy. Yeah. 
I've been wearing this brace, and now my hips hurt. But I don't know if it's from the it's from your the, grips. So you got grankles and grips. I got grank, grandma's hips and grandma's. So you're ankles. you're overcompensating for your ankles. I don't know ankles, what it is, or is hurts. it all from the the initial event, or just bad hips? I got great hips just usually. Bad genetics all around. I, think, I got a I got a lot of twists left in my hips. I think the lesson learned is maybe don't say hi to complete strangers. Mm. Oh yeah. But what if they're waving to you? You snub them. Yeah, I will now. Maybe you do just a head <laughs> nod. Just kind of nod. Just go, yep. God, whatever it is, don't be distracted while you're walking in the middle of the intersection. Mm. That make that sounds wrong. Well, I was walking in a crosswalk. And also, in a crosswalk, watch out for potholes. Mm. So maybe head down and the wave. But how would then I know that they wave to me? Got to have my head up. Or just point. do what I do when you're driving. See, when I drive, my wife gets mad because I'll just wave at people. Yeah. So you, you, they're they're waiting to turn, so they've they're stopped. They're looking yeah. at each car going by, and I just sort of wave as I go by, and they either have this total look of confusion, like who is that, or they'll wave back. My wife thinks I'm going to get shot or something someday. Oh no! Is I it take a, somebody off. Is it a safety thing or is it a cordiality thing? My wife thinks I'm trying to be rude. Yeah, belligerent. <laughs> and I'm trying to. I feel like I'm just trying to be. Um, Make, make the whole thing awkward because someone waves yeah. at you. Your first thought is, "Who's that? What are they?" And I just, I think that person sitting there just confused, like, "What's going on?" You're the guy that just waves to every. You're, you but you all, go, you go you're to already a, that you go to a small man. T- you go to a small town. Everybody waves. Oh yeah, it's just what you do. Sure. So why don't we bring that to the big city or you know medium sized city? Mm, do you, no? Can you see how that would go in New York? Why not? Just wave. I don't think they'd be waving back. They'd be waving something back. Yeah. Wouldn't be a hand. I try to tell to my wife that I'm trying to be nice. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to up the level of public discourse by simply being nice. And my wife says, no, you're trying to make them feel confused. I go, well, there's that. There's that too. Hey, can we also just – let's just take a second to do road uh, information awareness. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, So I live in a city where they use roundabouts. Roundabouts. Those are annoying. Yeah. And the way a roundabout works is it's a round. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a circle with four entrances maybe. Could be three. Could yep. just be two. Right. But the rule is if you're in the roundabout, everyone else has to yield to get into it. But once you're in it, you own it. Mm. You're in the roundabout, which means everyone else yields to get in. Right. Well, nobody in my town apparently understands the roundabout rule. <laughs> They're not yielding? No. Well, they Well, what they, they don't, or they get in the roundabout, and then in the roundabout, they yield for somebody that's coming into the roundabout. Oh. Is it possible that the roundabout is full of people that are above the age where they just don't care anymore, like we've been talking about? Yeah, maybe. maybe well, no, because they're all they're younger all, than me. Yeah. But if you've ever been to London, you've seen a roundabout, or if you've been to Italy or France, there's... There's huge roundabouts, and oh, yeah. everyone understands there, the rules of the roundabout. There's still kind of a new concept oh. out here. Yeah. So, but, I mean, people still have a problem at, at four-way stops. Yeah. Right? No one knows who goes next. Yeah. I usually just wait till everyone else doesn't crash into me. Because everyone's Do like... You? No, I always wait till if, if no one's moving, I'm going. Even if I was the last one there. If no one else is going, I'll go. I try. I mean, it looks rude. But I, I have, I'm, you know... Whatever you do, be decisive about it because everyone's going to yeah. crash into you. Act True, like you know. Act but like in you the know. roundabout, you're right. If- Yield. Just once you're in, you're in. Yeah. 
today we had a, a major, just like the mafia. We had a yield. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. There's only one way out. There's only one way out. <laughs> it's it shouldn't be such a big deal. It's mm. so I always just are know. they overthinking it? Yeah, they just don't know the rule. Are they trying not? The, well, There's one sign going in yield. Yeah. So all you have to do is yield to the traffic, and all you have to do is look to the left. And if there's no car there, then get in. And once you're in, you're free to go. Mm. I mean, as long as the car in front of you should isn't you do yielding. A, should you do like a public safety video? Your your yeah. son makes videos. Uh-huh. Maybe yeah, well, yeah. you could get together, put something on Facebook. Yeah. Reach, the, reach the, out to your fellow yeah. citizens. The friendly roundabout. Yeah. You could tag the mayor, say, hey, you know, share this around. Mm-hmm. And by the way, as it starts to get a little icier... A little colder. Mm. Let me give you one other rule that I learned. And this is audio from the event. <laughs> you can't... Don't lock up your brakes? Pretty much. Okay. Roundabouts are round for a reason. Yes. Don't make them square. And I was speeding into a roundabout mm. and uh, lost my grip. I don't know what you call that on the tires. It was slick. You, and, you hydroplaned without – Yeah, pretty okay, much. Basically. This was in mm. an old car in an old day a few oh. years ago. So and you were drifting? I was drifting through the roundabout <laughs> and happened to try to go straight through a roundabout mm. and ended up hitting the curb, blowing my tire up in my rim. Wow. At least you didn't hit somebody else. Yeah, but – So – What does that have to do with it? <laughs> there was this sweet lady who was uh, stopping to let my family cross the street. There was no crosswalk, so she had the right-of-way. Oh, neat. Okay. She slammed on the brakes so that my family could cross the oh, road safely. Wonderful. She got rear-ended. So you caused an accident. I wasn't there, so I did not cause anything. Wow. This poor woman caused the accident because she did something she really didn't need to and wasn't supposed to Except be doing. Except you're supposed to always yield to the pedestrian. Um, they weren't in the street. There was no crosswalk. Hmm. So they would have been... Yeah, she caused a problem. They would have been jaywalking. So she just, for no reason at all, just stopped her car and waved them by and then... Did your wife like just quickly like walk away? Okay, move kids. Walk along. Walk I don't think along. they they didn't stick around to <laughs> deal with all the logistics of the accident. So uh, see, being a good doing a good turn doesn't always mean you won't get rear-ended. Right. It's kind of a that's kind of a downer lesson. It's another one of our mantras on the show. Downer lessons. The Matt. No, doing a good deed doesn't always mean you won't get rear-ended. Put that on a meme. Meme it. All right. Well, let's let's, let's pick up the game. Um, we are going to come back talking to Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider. Joe in the know. We like to pick his brain about all things political. And uh, we got a lot to cover with Joe. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. It's time to bring in our Washington insider. We, he's our political insider. He just understands politics. Uh, it doesn't mean he understands our president or necessarily everything that's going on politically. But we call him Joe in the Know. Joe Cannon is his name. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, and uh, which is an organization trying to lower fuel costs in the United States. Also, uh, Joe just has a really strong political history, including serving in the Reagan administration. Um, uh, and also um, has been a has been an editor of a of a newspaper, and so we like to just pick his brain. Joe, 
Welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing today? Good, Matt. Thank you. Dodgers. Happy to be here. Dodgers uh, clinched it last night, huh? Uh, hot. Yeah, sweep. Yeah, it was a great night. Except for the Diamondbacks. Well, if you're a Dodgers fan, it was a great <laughs> night. Yeah, it really was. It's fun. Oh, this is a yeah, great it's time. Possible you have list- it's possible you have listeners who are not Dodgers. Fans, I know. Right? I'm sure we got a I lot should, of Diamondbacks. I realize that. <laughs> but um, it's, I just love this time of year because you do get baseball, you get basketball, you get football, you get college football. This is just, oh, rich. A lot of great sports, right? ton of good stuff going on. So, um, boy, where do we begin today, Joe? Because uh, there, <laughs> there's just... There's okay. Let's start with Corker. Okay, okay. Uh, 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 he's Senator Bob Corker is a two-term, I think, senator from Tennessee, and uh, he's decided not to run again. He's right now currently the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and uh, he he says he's he's not going to run, but he's been kind of going head to head with President Trump. What do you think? Um, I I I kind of like somebody in the Republican Party that is in a position that's free enough to, to say stuff about the president? Well, there's a, there's probably a lot going on here that we don't know about or understand. I'll, I'll start there. I think uh, I'm not quite sure where this started between Corker and Trump. I think, uh, I, I don't know whether it was the president who said something first or Corker, but clearly it quickly came escalated into uh uh, you know, pretty open warfare. And uh, though I, I, one person pointed out that, that uh, the, the president does have this way of negotiating with people hmm. and uh, and apparently is, uh, you know, going to be reaching out to Corker. I, I, I don't know. I, oh, I don't really? Know that, that for a fact. But, but uh, you know, he's reaching out, for example, to Tillerson, uh, he's, he's, you know, reaching out to people that, that, that on the surface, it looks like there's, you know, there's a fight going on, but there clearly is some kind of a fight going on. And I think it's partly personal uh, because there is some history between Corker and the president that that seemed pretty positive. He was going to be um, a vice presidential candidate. He was on the list as well as the list of secretary of state. Right. I mean, so there there was a time when there was, uh, you know, some some closeness. But, I, you know, I think one of the things that this does reflect is that I think that Trump and a lot of people around him are very, very frustrated that they don't seem to be getting a lot done in the Senate. Hmm. And part of that is uh, because, you know, you don't have 60 senators in the Senate, so you're not going to get as much done. But undergirding all this, and I don't think it's necessarily even a conservative liberal, it's more like an establishment, not establishment, and that is, why is there a 60-vote rule? A lot of people in on the president's side of things are saying, well, look, this is the establishment, the old Washington establishment. The reason you have the 60-vote rule is because a lot of Republican senators don't want to change that. And 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 that doesn't necessarily fall along ideological lines. Senator Hatch, for example, is pretty conservative, an early supporter of the president, um, but also a strong opponent of changing that rule, which is you know perceived by Trump supporters uh, as blocking getting things done. Hmm. 
But I guess one thing j- just to bring up about that, um, like uh, Bob Corker said, um, he said one thing about working with the president is he a lot of times sabotage, sabotages their work. One of his quotes says, he says, I know he has hurt in several instances. He's hurt us, the Republicans, as it relates to negotiations that were underway by tweeting things out. So it's it's one of the first times that somebody has overtly said the president's tweeting has hurt us in our work in in the Senate. Right. No, no, it's it's true that there's a not a, it's not a widely held perception. It's just true. Nobody in history has governed by tweets <laughs> the way the president has. So that's 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 a fact. And that uh, that that's not going to change. I mean, we're. Part of this discussion is deja vu all over again. To get yeah. back to famous baseball quotes, right? Uh, the uh, the you know the president has uh, an mo, and that mo includes direct communication uh, through tweets, and uh, that's very frustrating to people who are used to doing business not that way, not not in the public. But I I don't see how that changes. So it seems like that's just a political fact yeah. that people have to start getting used to. Yeah. One of the things he brought up, too, I, I have a CNN put together a list of an interview they did with Corker where I guess he came uncorked. And um, have it's a great list of it's a great list of his quotes. But one of the things he said, too, that was of, of interest is um, as long he was talking about the people around the president, as long as there are people um like that, I think he was talking about Rex Tillerson and John Kelly, chief of staff. As long as there are people around him like that that are able to talk him down when he gets spun up, you know, calm him down and continue to work with him before a decision gets made, I think we'll be fine. So he's actually coming out of the out of the gate talking about over, you know, openly um, that uh, that the White House spends every day. This is another quote. I know for a fact that every single day at the White House, it's a situation of trying to contain him, the president. I mean, these are pretty bold things to say, and I guess he's only able to say this, huh? Because he's uh he's not running. He's, he's not running again. He's right, free. Right. And you see that with Pres- with John McCain and with, with these people that aren't running. Um, but I guess what does it say about the rest of the GOP that that are either terrified to stand up against him or push back on him? Is it are they being held hostage? Well, some may, some may be that way. Some may feel that way. But I think for many of the just speaking now, you know, strictly about the Senate and people up, up on the Hill, uh, the, there's this, this simple political fact. Donald J. Trump is president of the United States. He's the head of one of the three branches of government. He appoints judges. He uh, signs legislation. He conducts foreign policy. And that's just a fact. So a lot of them may not like that fact. A lot of them are disappointed in that fact. There are some, some supporters of his. But, but a lot of the basically people have been in Washington a long time this is incredibly disruptive at one level. So, so many of them harbor these kind of secret or sometimes not so secret ill feeling. Hmm. A, but B, they also recognize they have to work with him, and then then he does reach out. I mean, it's it's kind of a funny thing. He'll 
he'll get into a, like the spat with Tillerson. Both Tillerson and the president have tried to play this down. Uh, the president's gotten back into a discussion of, you know, competing IQ tests. But even so, apparently they're having lunch today, you mm. know, uh, uh, to kind of... I don't know. But I don't know if it's to smooth things over, but um, I don't know. I've seen people, know people in and around the White House who really like the president inside, yeah. and there's there there are people. You know, if you if you sort of step the back and and you looked at the White House staff, lots of the most of the White House staff, you'd say these are really high quality people that would be in. Any Republican, if they're Republican, if they're you know Democrats, they're not Democrats. But this looks like a White House that looks like other White Houses. It really and, it does, uh, doesn't it? And yeah, you, you, you've got you, you look at General Kelly. You look at uh, the guy who's the staff secretary who you know manages every single piece of paper that goes to the president. Mm. You know, used to be the chief of staff to Senator Hatch. Mm. Uh, That's right. You know, Rhodes Scholar, uh, you know, brilliant lawyer. So you've, you've got, you look at the White House Counsel's Office, it's staffed full of, you know, it's one of the best law firms in the country. So, I, you know, there's something about the image. I mean, to, just to be a little bit fair, President Trump brings a lot of this on himself. It seems like he, he relishes in it. But it also, just to be fair, uh, apparently a bunch of studies have been done that show yeah. – no president has ever gotten more hostile press than than this guy. And, yeah. Uh, you know, when you read the Washington Post and New York Times, which I do almost every day, you it's relentless. It's like there's nothing he can do that is good. You know, no, right. like, literally nothing. And if he does something good, then that that gets relegated. You know, so it just doesn't get talked about very much. So. He he himself probably feels and probably is under siege by what he calls the mainstream media, and you know that 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 fear that reaction does have the virtue of being true. I mean, look what we're we're talking about ourselves. So we're talking about stories in the New York Times and the Washington Post, by and large. Oh, and CNN, the Wall yeah, Street Journal, yeah, or CNN, you know, and and it's. I mean, I guess and, and he. Because he's chosen to be such a public president and speak for himself, I mean, I think we're used to presidents where his the president's message has gone through three iterations before it's been posted, and Donald's right. maybe goes through not even one iteration and or half an iteration. So it ends up being he just he's probably the most accessible president we've ever had to the general public um, via Twitter. And I, I, I mean, this actually might even lead into another discussion that we could get into about um, Columbus Day. And uh, it's hard because we live in a day and age where um, we know so much. We have so much information to us. And so we try to set the, you know, a celebration of Columbus Day. But many are saying, do you celebrate Columbus Day after you find out what Columbus and other founding leaders did to the people, the indigenous people that were here. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Has Trump, has the president tweeted on Columbus Day? I, I may no, but, I might have missed that. But, but I think obviously, no, no, no. There's a huge issue about Columbus Day and what's appropriate on Columbus Day. Uh, but you, you're right. We are, 
in a, in a world where people can get you know immediate attention to uh, to their issues, like like an, an issue, the the kneeling issue where he sent uh, Vice President Pence to the Indianapolis Colts game. They showed up. They they I guess were anticipating the kneeling would happen. Then they anticipated the Vice President would leave in protest of the kneeling and um, leave his own state, leave his own team um, and and walk away. And then apparently it's now getting out that uh, that was all pre-prepared by President Trump, giving a mandate to Pence to leave if they kneel. And then, it, I mean, even keeping the journalists in the vans because they weren't going to be there very long kind of thing. It, so so it's it's a, everyone's protesting and everyone's protesting, you know, different things. And but what, what I guess I, I worry about in the country and you you understand history and you understand um, you, you understand movements because of the, the civil rights movement that you, you lived through and and other lift, other movements. But talk about what you see. I mean, are we is there anything that can please everybody? You know, we went through what happened in Vegas, and it seemed for a night we were kind of united. And by the next day, it was divisive in gun control. Is there ever going to be a day where we really can unite? Well, I I don't know. Uh, I I what I feel and what I see is this deeper and deeper cleavage uh, on both sides, where you have really strong, strong views and one side views the other as evil and vice versa. So it's, uh, you know, I, I, I see the cleavage, you know, maybe it's just a, an older person, but it didn't seem like it was this way in the fifties and sixties. You know, I don't remember people, yeah. you know, uh, you know, Eisenhower was the first president I remember was a pretty well-loved person on you know both sides of the aisle people got together you mentioned a minute ago you know the civil rights legislation that was totally bipartisan Mm -hmm. you know uh uh could not have happened without the help of uh of republicans reaching across the aisle and so you had some you know moderate democrats and republicans coming together to to oppose the old uh, bull uh committee chairs from the south who are all democrats not saying that that reflects Democrats today. It's just a fact that it was the civil rights, all of the civil rights statutes in the 60s were genuine bipartisan uh, efforts. And that just seems to have, have broken down now. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's sad. I mean, it's a, it's a sad thing. And I, I don't know how to fix it. You know, each side blames the other side. And they're both about 50% right. You know, so it's, right. uh, uh, in their in their assignment of blame. So, do we need a leader? Is it a leader thing? I mean, I wonder now as I look at President Obama. I wonder if because he had such a he had such a I don't know um, a really high percentage of vote of even it seems like GOP members in his first election. Do did do leaders? Did he waste an opportunity to be more bipartisan? And do you have to take an overt act to be bipartisan in order to break these walls down, or will your party just not allow it? 
Well, I don't think there was anything bipartisan about the Obama administration, by the way. I mean, yeah. that, no, that, no, but I'm wondering, they, I'm wondering they, they what would have happened if he could have been. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that's but that's the whole issue. To get elected today in either party, you are going to have to connect, be hardwired to a very big chunk of your base. And that base, in each case, is relentlessly opposed to the other side. Yeah. So I, I don't quite see how... Uh, you know, that, that leader emerges. But even if a person were, you know, have, have a different temperament than, than President Trump would have, does have, uh, I don't see how that covers over these deep, deep philosophical, ideological cleavages mm-hmm. that are really, you know, uh, ripping the country apart. But both sides have a lot of power. And so... It's you know the the clash is it's really hard to see how you how you get away from that. Yeah, well, and and two as it's as as it seems like some of the power centers are breaking down even where there's not uh, you know there's not the rhinos and I mean there are but they don't have the power they used to and the conservative doesn't have enough power to get anything through the the. The uh, so I mean it's nobody has no, enough power it, to get anything done. Everyone just has enough power to sabotage any discussion. Right, right. Well, I mean, you you look right now, Diane Feinstein, uh, you know, who actually after the uh, Las Vegas shooting, you know, came out and you know said something, uh, not, nothing positive about guns, but you know, noting the fact that. Any change in there's no gun law that could have prevented that. Mm-hmm. Then a couple of days later, she announces that she's going to run for re-election. I don't know if she formally announced it, but she made it clear that she's running again. Immediately, immediately, uh, people on her left are challenging her in uh, California. Mm. Uh, so she's. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but apparently a lot of people are lining up uh, on the. On the more progressive side, it's hard to say that about California, which is all in. Pretty progressive, yeah. Uh, pro- progressive side, but 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 that she's facing a, uh, if not a primary opponent, a you know very strong intra-party fight. Hmm. Yeah, and that same thing is happening on the right. So uh, uh, Steve Bannon came out uh, in the last couple of days saying all these senators who who are, A, not supporting the president, or Republicans, only Republicans we're talking about right now, who are not supporting the president, or who are establishment, I'm putting that around quotes, in that they don't want to change the 60-vote rule, they're going to have primaries. Hmm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, on both sides, you have this sort of ideological um, litmus test that can't be crossed. And it's, uh, like I said, it's an almost equal and opposite uh, forces there. Yeah. And I, I just don't see how that gets reconciled. No, it's it's crazy. Oh, it's crazy, Joe. So give us, uh, we have about a minute left. What would you, what's the, what's what else are we missing? What should we be talking about? Well, I, I don't know that we should be talking about it, but I think what's happening in Catalonia yeah, Catalan is uh, very, very deeply significant, and we're going to find that out in in, in a few hours. I guess the uh, president—I'm not quite sure the jurisdiction how this is—but the head of the government uh, is uh, in Catalan is giving a speech in Barcelona, or as we would truly say, Barcelona. Yeah, 
today uh, on uh, on on where they're going with their their exit from because they voted Catalan voted to exit uh, Spain right and overwhelmingly now that a lot of people say well only half of them voted but but, but of the half that voted ninety percent of them voted to leave yeah. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's I, I think that that's that's emblematic. You, you've got the rise of these conservative parties in in Europe, not not just in Germany, but in, in the German elections. The very conservative right wing party won like twelve or thirteen percent of the vote. You've got Brexit. You've got a lot of mm. things or a lot of fissures. Uh, in the whole body politic out there that I think are very interesting. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. In fact, let's talk about it next Monday, Joe, and, and um, see where what yeah what that portends. That's a that's a big deal. And again, kind of more nationalism, everybody protecting their own, guarding their own. Uh, great uh, discussion with Joe Cannon. We appreciate him. Joe in the know, we call him. You can find out more about Joe and his work at fuelfreedom.org. Uh, Just go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. And uh, we'll use him every Monday. We'll try to get as much information out of him as we can and just insight. This is the Matt Townsend Show, uh, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball, friends. You know, again, uh, as we were bringing up with Joe, it's it's so easy to be divided. And a lot of people, um, and I see it, you see it everywhere. We, we don't have this perfect history in the United States, right? And with Columbus Day, you see it as well. I mean, there were there were things that happened all throughout our history that uh, that weren't necessarily as we maybe had purported to be. And and the the problem, I guess, is um, it's one thing to have a revisionist history where we rewrite the history. It's another thing to to just start allowing some of the truth to come out. And remember the concept of paradox. Two ideas can still go together. You can still be a member of an incredible country with incredible rights and privileges and opportunities, and it has a troubled history. Those two things can go together. Right. We had slavery and we still have an incredible country. And, um, you know, we've committed, you know, horrible acts in certain wars and in other situations. Life is about paradox. And it doesn't mean you have to accept one and reject one. They both can go together. Good people historically did things for reasons and their reasons may not have always been clean and pure and perfect. But um we also have to be careful of throwing everything out as well. And I think one of the keys might be to start telling more of the whole story. The healthy story, I call it, is always the more complete whole story. Make sure we tell both sides of every story. And in doing so, we, I've just found we tend to find a healthier solution, a healthier life. Um, just a little advice from a coach. Healthy equals whole. Make sure you're telling the whole story. And uh, honesty, that's why honesty might be the best policy uh, down the road. We'll continue the journey straight ahead. We'll have a little uh, tangent from Leanna Tan. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio.
You know, we spend our money on many different things in life. Food, clothing, and a place to live are some of the basics. But our producer, Leanna Tan, points out that some of the items and experiences that people are spending their money on don't seem to make much sense. Many of these examples can be seen as ridiculous spending. Over the summer, I was talking to my cousin, and he heard that I spent some time in a refugee camp. And he said, how much did they pay you? And I said, nothing. I paid for it. He was shocked. He couldn't believe that I had paid thousands of dollars to voluntarily go to a foreign country to spend day after day in an old prison, sweating and working for hours on end. He just raised his eyebrows and asked me, why in the world would you pay for that? So I started thinking, you know, we do pay for ridiculous things. I mean, yeah, I gave my money to jump into a refugee camp. But before you knock donating money to do humanitarian work, just think about all the odd things you spend your money on that I just don't understand. Here, let me remind you of five ridiculous things you pay for. Number one, marathons. That's why I'm running. I just don't understand why people would fork out sometimes over $100 to run. It's never made sense to me. I used to think runners got paid to run marathons, and that made a little more sense to me. If you sweat and exert all your energy for hours on end, I will pay you X amount of money. Okay, not a great deal, but I could see it. But then I found out people spent hundreds of dollars to wake up early, get dropped off at some remote location, and then voluntarily expend all of their energy just to run outside in the open, all the while cramping up and knowing they're going to be sore for the next week, all for a banana and a coupon at the end of the finish line. I just don't get it. Don't you realize that you could literally just walk outside and do yourself the same torture for free? And if you really want a banana, they're only like 59 cents. So if I promised you one of my unused t-shirts and a fresh banana and let you run around my yard to your heart's content, would you pay me $160? Number two. Camping. Wood smoke at sundown, riding soft on the wind. It just seems a little absurd sometimes. I mean, think about it. We give up our warm beds, our heaters, our air conditioners, toilet paper, running water, and home-cooked meals to spend a few nights lying on the cold ground in the middle of the woods, replacing toilets with a hole in the ground, and scrounging for food in the wilderness or eating charred gelatinous sugar confections off a stick. And we pay for it. Again. You could just go to your backyard or pull off the side of the road and have relatively the same experience. Number three, ATMs. Grab the cash, make the dash. I remember one time I wanted to go shopping with my dad in town, and I was going to stop at a gas station to get some money out. But my dad said I could just use an ATM in town because it was more convenient. So we didn't stop at a gas station, which meant not only did I not get my yummy treat, but I ended up spending like $5 just to get my money out. I don't get why people pay for their own money when you could just get it out for like 25 cents and get a cheap pack of gum out of it, too. Number four, cosmetics. Like a flower. Okay, I'm a culprit of this to some extent, but I've never fully understood this one. I was talking to some girls once, and I had no idea what microblading was, and I'd never really experienced false eyelashes or getting my nails done either, actually. It had just never really made sense in my head. You mean to tell me you spend $30 every other week just to sit in a chair for an hour and a half, inhale toxic fumes, and have someone paint your nails when you could do the same thing in the comfort of your own home for free in a fraction of the time? And you go in once a month to drop $50 to reapply fake eyelashes 
on top of the ones that were already given to you for free at birth? Man, I must be missing something here. I've definitely saved hundreds of dollars over the years from neglecting those spendy traditions, but maybe I look like I just crawled out from under a rock. And number five, bottled water. Whoever thought of this was a genius and must have realized that the rest of us were complete suckers. Did you know that bottled water is usually just treated tap water? But every year, Americans spend about $11.8 billion on bottled water, when all of that could be avoided by just walking a few steps to the tap. And tap water can be healthier than bottled water. It has important minerals like calcium and magnesium, and it's regularly checked for traces of E. coli and other bacteria, which bottled water isn't. Plus, the chemicals in the plastic of the bottles leak into your water when it's heated, which has been linked to reproductive issues, liver problems, and an increased risk for certain types of cancer. So, I think it's ridiculous. I refuse to pay for a public amenity. Having fresh, drinkable, free water at our fingertips is what separates the first world from the rest of the world. But maybe what also separates us is paying excessively for stuff for no reason. So all I'm saying is just think about it. Next time someone asks you to donate to a charitable cause and you think, why in the world would I spend my money on that? Not that everyone who's asking for donations is noble, but just remember, you've spent hundreds of dollars to run outside and eat charred marshmallows off a stick. Just saying, there could be better things to invest in. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeffrey Simpson and Terry South. The gang is gathered. It's now time to deliver. I will give you a pump up. No. What? I was about to pump huh? you. I was trying to pump you guys up for the big game. Which is? Right wh- now. Which one? Oh. There are a ton of them. Yeah. We, we yeah. do three big games a day, and we're in the second of three today. Oh. I'm pumping you up. Get ready! <sighs> anyway. That was effective. <laughs> well, no, you're all so down. It's BYU losing on this campus really brought you guys down. And I was there to witness it in person. Terry's devastated. Apparently the big takeaway is Cosmo the Cougar can dance with the Cougarettes. Oh, he did that last year. I know, but it's, I just saw it on CBS's morning show. They put it oh, on really? there. It's, it's all over the place. He was on painter stilts doing the jump rope. That's crazy. On painter stilts. It was crazy. As a guy with dainty ankles, that sounds like a problem <laughs> waiting to happen right there. Yeah, so the bright spot apparently from the game was Cosmo. Do cougars, uh, cougars meaning the mountain lioness animal, I don't know if... Yeah. Yeah. Do they, can they twist an ankle? Um, I don't know. I don't know if they can twist their ankles. So we have that joint there yeah, we that allows that, for the yeah, twist. Yeah. I'm not sure if other animals have that. Yeah. I think I had a spiral, almost a spiral fracture. A spiral twist? It was a spiral twist. Mm. Kristen Chenoweth also performed with Cosmo when yes. she was here. And when he came on stage, she said, you have to get off the stage because there can only be one cougar on the stage. <laughs> I didn't realize she went to BYU. She didn't. She oh. meant because of her age and – Oh, that kind of cougar. Yeah. Hmm. That's what you meant. Hey, happy Face Your Fears Day. 
I mean, we've all been facing our fears. Uh, Jeff, by the way, faced his fear to the point of overcoming it. He was afraid he was going to gain so much weight mm. he would die. And he didn't die. He just conquered his fourth tournament and has now made upwards of $55, which buys a whole lot of nachos. That's true. That'll pay for half of my Dodgers ticket. <laughs> Jeff, he likes him some nachos. He likes the nachos. It's a uh, – it's really – it's – apparently you were raised on nachos. You used to call them manna from heaven. Well, I think I told you when I went on a uh, Boy Scout camp adventure, we left super early in the morning, like 5.30 in the morning. There's a 7-Eleven right down the street. So we all walked over there. I came back with a thing of nachos and a grape soda. Wow. Ready for the car ride up to Beaver, Utah, <laughs> I think it was. You were, you were excited. Well, um, so it started early with you. Uh, so we'll be covering Face Your Fear Days, Face Your Fears today, and everything that scares you. You need to face. You need to deal with it. Today, lately, uh, we'll be—I mean, later on—we'll be talking with an author about how to not be afraid to say certain things. It's all about the way you should say things. There are little tricks, little words you can use, and if you use these words, it just—it'll dramatically impact your influence, your your life, and you'll, or at you'll, least make you not sound like such a jerk. Yeah, yeah. You'll sound less like a jerk. Isn't that the goal for most of us? Just. Get through the day and don't sound like a jerk. And not twist your ankle. True. That's my goal. That's why I wave at people. Just wave. And, and you like to wave to people. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like that because that caused the accident. What would happen? You're driving down the street. Someone just waves at you. What do you do? I'd wave. Do you wave back? I, what I, now what I would do is I would stop whatever I'm doing. I'd pull over and I'd wave. If you're both sitting at a four-way stop. Yeah. And they're just sitting there looking at you, so you wave. You have no idea who the person is. I would think that guy's rude. Okay. Well, now we know what one of your fears is. Wave. Yeah. Your fear is waving to people while walking. Yeah. Yeah. That's how people die. Wave more. You'll overcome it. No, I don't think so. Just rip the bandage off and just start waving at everyone. Just the brace? It wasn't two minutes ago that you just told us we have to face all of our fears today. Everyone. Not that At one. the same time. My leg is still <laughs> too fragile. Really? Fragile. The, the wound is is too too fresh. You yeah. just can't let that. It could pop at any time. It's too much to handle at the yeah. moment. Okay, well. And I somehow got to build up my ankles. Your fragility has been noted. Hmm. Uh, today we're also going to be covering a, a great wedding. I, you guys know I love a wedding. This is a really special wedding. You just see future clients. I see, yeah, future opportunity to make money. <laughs> and uh, this is a wedding, but this may be very well the wedding of all weddings. Really? Hmm. And it wasn't even Lady Diana. That was the wedding of all weddings. The wedding of all weddings may also include a foot-long hot dog, Polish mm. dog. Right. Maybe a churro? A, a churro, maybe a huge slice of pizza. Mm. And? Maybe a, uh, some sort of parfait. Maybe some samples from a lady, blue-haired lady with a hairnet. Very nicely. A case of canned chicken, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a big bottle of vitamins about mm. the size of your chest. One that you'll never, ever finish. Right. It's called Costco, folks. We'll be talking about a couple that wanted to get married at Costco. What? Plus a man dressed as a Coca-Cola bottle robs a restaurant. Hmm. By the way, just branding. 
just branding. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? California Governor Jerry Brown has declared a state of emergency in Napa, Sonoma, and Yuba counties because of wildfires, he says, that are threatening thousands of homes. Brown issued the declaration on Monday as multiple fires forced people to evacuate their homes. At least 10 people have died in the raging wildfires across California. 17 fires are burning around the state. We're nearly 90,000 acres ablaze thanks to flames fueled by strong winds. The fires have destroyed at least 1,500 structures and forced evacuation of 20,000 residents. In Anaheim, hundreds of firefighters have mobilized to fight a blaze burning over an estimated four to 5,000 acres. Thousands of residents impacted by the flames, houses destroyed. It's nuts. How many injured? Like 100 and... There's at least a hundred injured. They don't know. They have one hundred. I heard a fire, or a police chief this morning, talk about there's one hundred and fifty people reported missing. Unbelievable. And they can't do anything about it because where they were last seen is on fire. So we'll get in there. Another as soon as disaster. The, yeah. And again, we have fires every year. I'm going to call right. my parents after the show. But they're usually in unpopulated. Yeah kind of just grassy, backwoods sort of areas, this happens to be right in a populated this is, place. This and is impacting wine country. They're having crazy gusts of wind. They've had like hurricane force gusts oh, so no. far, and it's just driving these flames across roads, across fields, from house to house. Unbelievable. Just trying to contain it. Other news, former President Jimmy Carter has reportedly offered to meet with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in order to prevent a world war. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good. Look at that. That's great. He's like our... Uh, our default statesman. We need maybe, someone to go do something. Maybe he, he could and, go there and build houses. Could te- very well could. In Habitat a, for or, North Korean or teach homes. Sunday school because those are the two things we know that he oh, does. That's great. And a suggestion that implies distrust of uh, President Trump and the State Department. The 93-year-old Carter allegedly told a professor at the University of Georgia that he would like to discuss a peace treaty with Kim. According to South Korea's local daily newspaper they hmm. have, he wants to employ his experience visiting North Korea to prevent a second Korean War. Carter wrote in the Washington Post last week that the current escalating conflict with North Korea represents the most serious existential threat to world peace. Yeah. I wonder how pres- the current president feels about all that. I happen to maybe he would feel upstaged. What do you think? A, no. a former president stepping in but to do just, something he can't. It's, it's just little old Jimmy Carter. Right. But the one-term president. He'd find a reason. Yeah. But then he'd attack him like yeah. he did an ESPN anchor this morning. Oh, he did? Yeah. Uh, CNN reports that Google will join Facebook and Twitter in testifying before the House and Senate Intelligence Committees at hearings on Russian election interference. A Google spokesman declined to confirm the report. More information is coming out about mm. Russian ads on Google products as the company conducts an internal investigation on the issue that has already become a major challenge for its rival, Facebook. They originally said that uh, we haven't found any evidence that used Google products. Now they're saying Google sold tens of thousands of dollars worth of ads to Russian agents across several of its platforms, including Google Search, Gmail, and the company's DoubleClick ad network, according to your report from the Washington Post. Wow. So it's now everything, basically every, somehow Amazon is going to be involved with this too. Oh, everybody's going to get, yeah, everyone's going down. Because they were selling merchandise. Some like of these uh, websites, Russian the, the, pins. Well, the Facebook pages that were pushing some of these ads that, this, that they've been pointing out in the Senate hearings also had, like, you know, buy merchandise over here with whatever oh, yeah. logos they were creating. So there was t shirts you could buy and all kinds of mugs and things. So, I don't uh, know. buy the Putin Trump 
T-shirt? No, no, no. It was not the reference. It wasn't that obvious, Matt. Okay, sorry. It was more subtle than that. But it was a Trump T-shirt with the, the Trump hats were red. And it wasn't pro. It wasn't like Trump things. It was anti-Hillary. Ah. Uh, or pro Hil- some cause. Like Hillary cause is a, a commie. Com- yeah, there you go. Yeah, that would probably be it. That would be a good T-shirt. That's a great T-shirt. I'll put that out there. See if we can get that made. And finally, um, I, I, I find this interesting every few weeks. There's this Forest Grove, Oregon police blog. Oh, yeah. And they just kick out some of the um, incidents that they get called out to as police officers. Just those crazy little calls. The, the Oregonian newspaper publishes them because yeah. they're kind of funny. <laughs> um, September 29th, officers took a report of a stolen wallet, passport, and iPad from a vehicle. Some of the items were recovered later in the day when the owner returned. Okay. There you go. Clear. Co- <laughs> a caller reported seeing a man stumble down the road and get into a vehicle in the middle of the night. Officers were unable to locate the man or the vehicle. Mm. Mm. Sounds suspicious. September 30th, a fast food restaurant employee reported that multiple teens were seen on top of a vehicle going through a drive through Police were unable to locate the vehicle or the teens. Holy cow. Oregon's yeah. going to pot. <laughs> well, they, they did. A thief <laughs> stole several packages of meat from a grocery store. Officers were unable to locate the suspect. However... There appears to be no connection to the previous week's meat heist. Oh, that's Ooh. good to know. So there isn't like a, a serial meat, meat heist, heist my, meat. meat theft ring or something going on in, in Forest Give Grove, me Oregon. Your meat. October 3rd, <laughs> a man called police after his dog was allegedly struck with a tiki torch by a neighbor in a heated argument Ooh. over dog poop. Was the do- was the tiki torch lit? It doesn't say. In the tiki 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 room. But it sounds like that thing where you have your neighbor just sort of walk down the street and just stop while they're walking their dog. Hey, put the torch down. Let, <laughs> let their dog take care of the, you know nature's call right there on yeah. your front lawn, and they keep walking, and someone grabbed a tiki torch. Ooh, oh, I hate it when they pull a tiki torch. Very interrupted the luau. Lots of conflict. <laughs> October fourth, a caller reported a suspicious man leaving his neighbor's backyard carrying a large black bag and a box. <gasps> Officers learned the items were gifts from the neighbor, not stolen. They solved it right there. So nosy neighbor. That was close. Saw something and called the cops. And finally, October 5th, police received a report about a suspicious amount of foot traffic coming in and out of a location. Uh-oh. Officers learned the family at the residence had just welcomed the newborn and were receiving visitors. <laughs> See, this is why, this explains why police have such a hard time, you know, not wanting to beat someone up. Right. Because... <laughs> You've been on 30 calls that were nothing. They were just someone across the street. And then all of a sudden, some guy pulls a tiki torch on you. Yeah. What are you going to do? Tase him. you got to tase the dude. Tase it. Oh, oh, lit the torch right there. So Forest Grove, Oregon, there's uh, someone hitting people with tiki torches. And you know what? They've got some neighbors that are way nosy. Way, oh, yeah. Lots of nosy neighbors. You had a, a suspected meat heist that's not connected to last yeah. week's meat heist. Yeah. Or is it? Kids riding on top of a car through a drive-through? That's just dangerous. Maybe not nosy they wearing neighbors. <laughs> Maybe they just have a lot of time. A lot of free time. Yeah. What they they need they need some other problems. They need some real <laughs> problems. I don't want to create problems for them, but How common do you think that is across the country? I think that's about that's about as normal as it gets. 
That's why, America right Why there. doesn't every police department just publish the fun ones? Because then we'd all say, we don't need these cops. <laughs> but you do. I mean, oh, yeah. if, you, if someone calls and says, hey, we need you to check out this Tiki Torch attack, you got to check it out. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you get there and you spend the next hour talking someone down with a tiki torch. Well, not cleaning up after your dog, that's at least like an ordinance violation. Yeah. Can they ticket him for some some way? I don't know. I don't own a dog. No. Yeah, really? You, you just... I mean, I guess you could ticket him. Okay. Well, I mean, enforce the law. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to say. Just enforce the laws on the books. All right, let's do that. What we'll do is we'll arrest you for assault with a tiki torch, yep, and then we're going to ticket your friend here. There you go. I think they were both parties were wrong here. That's wrong. Well, actually, the dog was wrong. Well, yeah. Let's say, let's get real. The dog. We always overlook the dog. Mm. Dogs have responsibility too. <laughs> all dogs go to heaven too. Uh, totally. Did you know that? Yeah. Did you hear about the cats? Yeah, they go someplace else. Not going to heaven. <laughs> I read it. I read it on the National Enquirer. Hey, let's get to some other empty news. We got to get to this uh, couple that gets that's getting married. Yeah. So this is a great. This is great. Marriage is wonderful. Speaking of heaven, I mean Costco's kind of close, right? Yeah, totally. Um, So Sue Berkeley and Eli Bob. They had a real they have a real love for buying things in bulk. They (laughs) tied the knot on Saturday at a place the bride calls a place that I love, Costco. The store uh, was a natural choice for the couple's venue because, as the pair say, they spend a lot of time shopping there. The initial idea of the wedding was meant as a bit of a joke, Berkeley said. I've got a big family, and so does he, and I wondered how we were going to do it. <laughs> then I thought I should get married at Costco because I'm, I'm there all the time, so it just made sense. The couple's wedding was attended by 90 of their family and friends and 200 confused shoppers. Yeah, what do you wear to a wedding at Costco? It's a good question. Because do you wear your shopping clothes or do you wear your wedding clothes? I'd been in there in a suit before and I felt a bit out of place. Yeah. What's great is whatever you wear, if you don't like what you wore, you can go pick something else up. Absolutely. <laughs> like some $15 jeans. Yeah, you can buy some khakis and, some, and, a, and a white shirt. Yes. Kirkland brand, of course. So while onlookers moseyed by, Berkeley and Bob's ceremony took place under an indoor trellis adorned with flowers next to tables covered with white tablecloths and scattered rose petals. Invitees were treated to pizza, hot dogs, uh, how do you say this word? Bulgogi? Bulgogi rolls? I have no idea. Rolls, fountain soda, and wedding cake, all of which cost about eight dollars per head. Oh, see that's, that's a, great a great bargain. Deal. Yeah, yeah. The, so the next step they need to do is do weddings in bulk. Oh yeah. So if you can get five of your friends to get married at the same time, everybody gets a discount, right? So we actually sent one of our reporters over there to capture some of the audio. wasn't actually invited, uh, but he was still able to get some audio. And here cool. it is. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in this blessed establishment to join this man and this woman in affordable matrimony. If anyone objects to this union, I'll try to be heard over the Vitamix demo. If anyone objects to... Hey, where can I find your 10-gallon drum of movie theater butter? 
Uh, oh, never mind. I see it. Thank you. I'm terribly sorry. Now, where was I? Oh, look, honey. They're sampling some sheet cake today. Oh, that's a new one. Jenny Sue, Doreen, Donnie, Joe. Y'all want some of this? No, miss. Uh, that That's a wedding cake. This is a wedding. Please, please, miss. No. Wow. So <sighs> there were some distractions, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't know that I'd want my wedding there. Yeah. Maybe it's not. People would steal all the food. Yeah, plus... Thinking it was free. All these people that weren't invited. Mm-hmm. And then all the hairnet ladies standing around. Yeah. Cutting up stuff. Yeah. Constantly haggled on, where's uh, where's your 30-pack of blue paper towels? <laughs> yeah, not liking that. Mm. So there's another story here. You teased it already about a restaurant um, and a theft that was involved from a Coca-Cola bottle. Yeah. How is that possible, you ask? Well, police say a Kentucky man dressed in a Coca-Cola bottle costume and robbed a restaurant. Police say the costume suspect was also armed with a handgun and was able to steal over $500 in cash. Holy Coke bottles don't have hands. That is a great point. I was just thinking that. You can't. How do you have an armed robbery when you don't have arms? Well, I think maybe they tilt their head and oh. they shake they shake around a lot and they say, nobody move <laughs> or I'll, I'll spray you. <laughs> so the suspect then left the scene in a gray minivan. We're told the restaurant had not yet opened and the manager was the only person there during oh, the robbery. Boy. He was not hurt. At least there was nobody else there. I think it's all just an illusion. Really? Mm-hmm. He wanted a he wanted a Coke, but he didn't have the change. Yeah. So he dreamt this whole thing up. It's, a, it's, just hmm. a, it's just fantasy. You know, I'm pretty sure I know where he got his costume. Where? Are you planning to rob a convenience store but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. So make it a good one. And buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet. The store where you can shop first and ask questions later. You know, sometimes it's hard to know exactly what to say to motivate others uh, to get them to really do what you want. If only you could snap your fingers and everyone would just, you know, get in line, right? Well, what if there were some magic words that you could use to influence people? Phil M. Jones, who's an expert in the art of sales, teaches us exactly what to say and the magic words to persuade and influence others. In his book, his book is exactly what to say, the magic words for influence and impact. Phil, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Matt. Yeah, it's a delight to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. It really, I mean, it's amazing what our words can do. And most of us know the words that will tick people off. But we don't always know what words will uh, will you know inf- get garner more influence for ourselves. This is very true, my friend. Very true indeed. And I think the worst time to think about the things that you're going to say is in the moment that you're saying them. Yet every day we find ourselves lost for words. 
Talk about uh, what made you want to write this book. Where did you, why did you, why did you think, okay, we need to get the words to the people? I guess there's two things to that. First thing is um, an understanding of the influence and the importance of how subtle changes in words can make a remarkable difference to the outcomes that people would get and the success from their conversations. So that's been a study and a passion of mine for decades through really every thread of my work in everything that I've done since starting my first business at 14. But why did I want to put it into a book, is your question, was just this consistent problem that I would see in people's worlds where they would find themselves failing to get the success that I knew they were capable of because they didn't know exactly what to say, when to say, and how to make it count. And I figured, well, there must be an easy and a precise way that I can help empower people to find some confidence in conversation. And that's where the book came from. And I've learned from being in the world of business as long as I have that people are great at buying books, yet just not so good at reading them. So if I could produce a short, simple, straight-to-the-point book that gave people precise practitioner-led information that is steeped in knowledge, yet also something that's instantly applicable, people would not only read it, they'd read it, they'd act on it, they'd enjoy the benefits and then understand the principles rather than have the principles explained to them. So it's been a, been a project of passion to get to this point in time. And, um, yeah, I'm really proud of some of the things that people are being able to achieve as a result of it. Yeah, I, as somebody that we, because every day we have three interviews a day with, with people that have written books, right? And um, the interesting thing about yours, it is very small, but... You can also tell it's um, it's very rich. It, you can tell you've tried to identify exactly uh, what is the teaching point, what is the solution, and, and what is the magic word. I guess talk about your idea of magic words. What do you mean that uh, when you say that there are – that some words are just magic? And I think I call them magic words because that's a way that people can understand them easier. But what we have as humans is we have – a large part of our decision-making process is made within our subconscious. The decisions that we make every day are based on the habits that we've trained ourselves in through life, through conditioning. And there are certain word choices that talk towards existing patterns that we have in our daily cycles. And by getting these words right, you can trigger what a near, almost a reflex reaction in other people. You can create predictable responses in others by utilizing these existing patterns. That's what magic words are. They're words that talk straight to that subconscious part of somebody's brain that allow them to make decisions more easily. And our role in life to have more effective and influential conversations is to ease people through the decision-making process. But naturally, we're indecisive and we're looking to be led. So to be responsible as, as influencing others, whether it's for a sales goal, whether it's to get a loved one to do something that you wish they, uh, they would do more effectively, or, or whether it's that you're looking to lead people more effectively, Having the ability to get somebody to make a clearer decision is the thing that taps into the momentum that then allows you to go on and achieve further success. Mm. That's great. And and really, uh, and already can connect into that subconscious level uh, with, with where we already carry this huge history around words. Give us some examples of what, what are some of the, the word, these magic words and, and, and explain how they've helped us and how they could help us. Well, let's take a couple of fun ones. Is Firstly, understand that, that memory works in pictures, and decisions are also made in pictures. Quite literally, you've probably found yourself saying things like, I couldn't see myself doing that. Hmm. That's a very literal thing. So if you want somebody to do something, one of the first things you can do is to get them to see themselves doing it. Now, that's easy when you're talking to children. When you're talking to children, you can start a conversation with the words once upon a time. 
they can close their minds and they can picture anything that they would choose to. You bring a once upon a time conversation towards an adult and they think you're off the planet. So you can't do that. But what you can do by alternative is you can use the preface to a statement, which is the words just imagine. And if I was to say to somebody, just imagine X, Y, Z, they cannot help but see that thing. So just imagine six months on from now that what you're doing is enjoying some time on the beach with your family and loved ones as a result of the hard work that you've put in. You've now seen yourself in that space. You can't not see it. Now, if that's an outcome that I want somebody to move towards or move away from, then I've got the ability to be able to insert, quite literally, images in somebody's memory bank mm. that gives me a greater chance of getting them to do the thing that moves them towards or away from that thing. So mm. just imagine, there's one example. Here's another tiny quick one that I think people can plug in straight away. We all meet people who are stuck in indecision. They don't know what to do. They're not sure whether they want to turn left or turn right. They're not sure whether they want to buy one, they want to buy two. They're not sure you know, whether what they're looking to be able to do is to move house or stay where they are. And they're looking for somebody to help guide them in that decision. So people don't like to be told what to do, but they kind of do, providing they respect the other person and feel like they weren't pushed into something or bullied into a corner. Coupled with the other same piece of psychology that we like safety in numbers. We like the fact that other people have tried things significantly in the past and they worked out just fine, so chances are they'll work out fine for us. Amazon reviews tell you that, Yelp reviews tell us that, that we'll trust the experience of a stranger to give us confidence that our experience will be a good one. And even more simple as a kid, I remember like being on vacation with my family and, and, and there being a great idea to jump off a rock face into the ocean water that was beneath and nobody wants to do it. But then when one person does it, jumps off the cliff, lands in the water and doesn't die, everybody now seems to think it's a good idea. Yeah. Like other people have to have gone first. Yeah. And we take all of that psychology, we can wrap it up together and create all of those outcomes in the individuals purely by talking in terms of most people. If I was to say to somebody, hey, what would, here's what most people would do when I've got somebody stuck in indecision, their little subconscious voice kicks in and says, I, I, I'm most people. I'd like to be most people. So if that's what most people would do, that's perhaps what I should do too. So the insertion of those words, instead of trying to tell somebody what to do, give them the collective responsibility to choose the path that you're presenting to them. It's true. Two quick examples. It's true. One was just imagine two was most people. Um, and it's, I, I guess, uh, some people would would feel like this is manipulative. Yet in reality, what you're doing too, though, is you're it's more efficient. You're making your communication more efficient. Right, and you, you are doing those things. What else you're doing, though, is you're making the other person's life easier. You're not leading somebody towards something they don't want to do. You're giving them confidence towards something they do want to do, and you're helping them by asking them the questions or giving them the choices that they found difficult to do themselves. And that's where people get stuck. Now, I work a lot in my world of helping salespeople to sell more effectively. And people say to me, well, how do I move somebody from a no to a yes? The short answer is you can't. You can move maybes to yeses. You can even use, move no's to maybes. But you can't move somebody from something they don't want to do to something they do want to do, purely with the utilization of words. That's where this fear of manipulation comes in from. You can only help people who are stuck in one way to be able to consider that there might be another way of moving forward or consider the fact that you know, here is a path of some clarity. And I think if more people were prepared to move with confidence, then that's where more of the good stuff happens. But you have to utilize these skills with integrity. You know, people say things like great salespeople can sell ice to a polar bear. 
the thing is that they just shouldn't do it because the polar bear doesn't need ice. It wakes <laughs> up the next day remarkably disappointed and frustrated by the fact that it's surrounded by something it's just paid for that it already had in abundance. That's not good things. And in today's marketplace, if somebody wakes up tomorrow disappointed with the transaction or the decision they made, it's not just a disappointment towards them. It's a frustration and outward response that then creates a bigger problem versus the success that was short-lived. So out of contrast, it's an issue. What we should be looking to be able to utilize these words for is for mutual benefit, is for where we can create a scenario in which everybody wins, that in a business environment would be you know, people making confidence decisions, being pleased with a decision, being happy to then be an ambassador towards that thing, championing, coming back for more, and telling the world that they had a wonderful experience. And if they do that, uh, what would I would assume we'd probably feel better about salespeople, right? I mean, doing it, having skills and greater ability to influence and impact people, um, it really it, it should it should make it more mutually beneficial. And that would have probably elevate our view of salespeople. But in the end, there's every once in a while, there's the one that's that's just kind of seemingly more manipulative. And let's play a game for a second. Is I want you to throw some adjectives at me. Throw some adjectives at me that would describe that stereotypical salesperson. Be as nasty as yeah, you pushy, um, aggressive. Um, uh, uh, what like ignorance or like ignoring what I'm saying. Um, um, uncaring, um, slimy. Hey, yeah, right. See, see that list that you're reaching for and the images that you're seeing in your mind right now, if that, those images or those words were used to describe you, I'm imagining you'd feel Horrible. pretty ugly. Yeah. Now, what happens if by alternative I ask you to describe not a stereotypical salesperson but a sales professional how do the adjectives now change? Yeah, well, and it's, so the the one the person that you keep going back to every time you have a question, it's he's your they're your source, right? They're your they're your informed source, uh, but you also feel that they care, right? You also feel that they're they're not just out for a number, right? So here's one tiny little example where I change one word and you change them all. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for is, is, is in the world of professional salesmanship and particularly integrity-based selling, which is where I spend my entire life, what we're never, ever looking for is applause for our sales skills. In fact, I promise you this, Matt, if anybody ever says the words to you or to anybody around you that they're a good salesperson, that is not a compliment. It means you've been caught <laughs> trying to sell to somebody, falling into that stereotype. They just think you've done a good job of the stereotype. That isn't a great compliment. Yeah. What we should be looking for, the goal that we should be chasing by alternative is merely the receipt of the word thank you. That's it. And when you chase the genuine thank yous, then what happens is you act with greater purpose. And in the world of sales, the mistake that nearly everybody makes is they have the finish line in the wrong place. The day they choose to celebrate is the day they sign the contract or bank the check or pick up the money. The day we should be looking to celebrate what every thing should be aimed at it's when the other person gets the result that you talked about in the conversations prior. It's when they go on to achieve the success that they wanted to have as a result of investing in the thing. Right. In fact, we're speaking with Phil M. Jones, author of the book, Exactly What to Say, The Magic Words for Influence and Impact. Phil, do these I, – I, it almost seems like um, 
this these techniques would work really well with your kids. They might work really well with getting your you know selling your kids on the idea that they need to eat their vegetables um, and getting some more uh, altruistic things done as well. One of the biggest surprises for me, and and by surprise I mean just a pleasant surprise for me from the book to date so far, is the number of people from outside of the world of business that have reached out to me to say. I had this given to me by a friend or somebody introduced me to this. And what you really helped me to do is to have more effective conversations with my children. Or one I had the other day from a group of audiologists that I work with is we did a, a training session with them. And she said, I've always liked those stuff and it made sense in the classroom, but I didn't want to use it with my patients because I felt that it might be uncomfortable. So all week long, I'd be practicing with those magic words with, um, with my husband. And you know what? He's taken the trash out every week and he's been happy about it. It works. And I'm like, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Like, that's, that's the difference. And, and the key point of that isn't that he's taken the trash out every week. It's that he's taken the trash out every week and he's happy about it. Yeah. Well, and that you've communicated. I mean, a lot of times we, we, these things go unsaid or unheard because you didn't say them overtly. You insinuated, you intimated that, hey, the garbage sure smells. Wow, it should be right. great. To, I mean, it, instead, part of this puts the onus back on the speaker to get some things said and say them in a way that, that, gets, that sets up success. Nearly every example that appears in exactly what to say, it does 93% of the job, leaving a percentage of the job in the hands of the recipient of the information that's being presented. It allows them to do the final piece. It's, you know, it's like a golfer that does the three shots on the par five to get you within three foot of the hole and leaves it ready for you to come and take the three foot part. Right. That's what all the energy that goes into to having the knowledge of the words and exactly what to say provide you with. But that also means that they don't work with all of the people all the time in the same way that you miss three-foot parts. So there's nothing that lay down there. You know, people say, well, I tried that once and it didn't work. <laughs> it's, you have to have acceptance that what this does is it works better than other ways. It doesn't provide you with some superpower or invincibility formula. It just says that what you have is a path of less resistance that means that you should get more of the right outcomes more often. And it gives you the confidence in the structure to learn a principle that then means that you can bring more of yourself to it. Yeah. But that maybe leads us towards this, this thought around scripting. And you know, there are many books out there that, that, that talk about either scripts are a bad idea or deliver this script word for word mm-hmm. or any argument in between. What my goal was with exactly what to say is to help people understand the power of utilizing the exact right words, but finding your exact right words being you with it, being comfortable in a way that actually you could find yourself within it, where you weren't sounding canned, you weren't trying to be who you're not. But what you are doing is understanding that there is a more efficient and then in turn a more effective way of going out, of being able to communicate with people with mutual you know, uh, great purpose in mind. So I'm, I'm comfortable with people coming up with the idea of thinking that they can create their own scripts. And if we're honest with ourselves, Many of the conversations that we have are hugely repetitive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So why would we not take the time to invest in understanding what is a correct thing to say in those moments? I mean, the worst time to think about what you're saying is in the moment when you're saying it. Yeah. So we can actually start to create patterns 
that then give us confidence to be more of ourselves, bring more inflection, bring more of our personality and our best selves and have fun in our conversations because we're not worried about what we're saying. We're more excited about how we're saying it and actually become more present in those moments. And that, too, becomes an amplifier towards the success of the communication. Absolutely. And I love the idea that, you know, you can never learn enough. You just have to keep learning, which is why getting some more ideas like uh, from Phil's book about what what are the exact words to say or what you could say and the principles eventually behind them. Uh, you'll be able to discern even better. The name of the book, Exactly What to Say, The Magic Words for Influence and Impact. Phil M. Jones is his name. You'll want to check that out. And uh, remember, just continue the journey. All we want is to keep getting better at this ability to communicate to one another. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Gary. Whoa. Welcome back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today, by the way, October 10th is Face Your Fears Day. Hmm. So we thought it'd be a really invaluable thing, uh, you know, as a team to go through what some of our fears are that, you know, that we that we worry about and then see if we can't help face those fears. Sure. Hmm. Now, if I had any fears, I would I would share them with you. Really? You're fearless? You just fell. Yeah. I thought we established you're afraid of waving while making eye contact with people. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm afraid of that. I think I'm afraid of uh, – I'm afraid of what's called yard selling it when – a yard sell is when someone's skiing down the hill and they crash and then all of your gear flies off of you and you look like you're having a little yard sell on the oh, side of the hill. okay. Gotcha. It's a skiing so, term. But it, could, but it could also be something that happens when you're crossing a crosswalk and you fall and everything on you falls off. I thought it was a fear of people selling their junk in the front yard. No. Sorry. Hey, no. you can find some good stuff at garage sales. Many people say that. Some people have the fear of nomophobia. You Nomo? That is? Nomophobia. Hmm. Nomophobia is the fear of not having your phone. Ooh. That's very real for a lot of people. I need my phone. Where's my phone? Oh, oh my heavens. And then your heart drops. Where is my phone? Did I leave my phone somewhere? You ever done that? And then you left it in the car? You ever left your phone in the car? Or you were holding it? (laughs) It's in your back I did that yesterday. I'm like, where did I put my phone? Let me check. Oh, it's on my hand. No mobile phobia is nomophobia. Interesting. So for me, always uh, the fears were, you know, Falling out of an airplane or down an elevator shaft. So, you know, heights, really? like extreme heights. Yeah. But mostly anything that is an animal or a mammal that could eat me alive. That's very unnatural and scares me. It's actually quite natural. That mm. is that is nature's way. Not for me. And <laughs> lately, lately it's maybe not meeting a, a weight goal or the Dodgers not making the playoffs. But both of those things have happened. So I've overcome both of those fears. Well, I had a lot to do with the Dodgers winning. Is that really a fear? Oh, yeah. I would have dreams about it. Them not winning. Hmm. So do you fear more having an animal eating you alive or the Dodgers not making it to the, the World The animal. Series? I understand in the grand scheme of things. That the Dodgers not winning is probably not as important as me staying alive. Okay, how about this? What about you have this beautiful plate of nachos from Dodger Stadium, and 
an animal is eating it and you don't dare take them back because the animal would then eat you. Ooh. Which do you fear more? Losing your arm, trying to get your nachos back, or the Dodgers losing that game? So you're not even paying attention wow. to the Dodgers. So the animal's eating my nachos mm-hmm. and then the Dodgers lose. Yeah. You just combined all of them. And then I fell out of my seat. That's right. There you go. And you gained weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you feel? What do you fear, Terry? That you're, you won't have your salad? No, making... just being unprepared. <laughs> really? For really anything. Yeah. That's... Just you, you walk in, because you, know, you don't see it coming. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're in a situation and everyone like looks at you because you're on type of thing. Yeah. And, um, what? What's going on? What? It's happened Ooh. a few times. Most of the time you can stay ahead of such things. Well. That's why calendars work. And yeah. You can just kind of keep track of things that way. But That's very telling. Occasionally there's something that just drops and you're like, ugh. I didn't even know about that. Right. You also seem to fear having um, your picture taken. It's not a fear. I just know what the outcome is. So what's the point? It's It'll look like every other picture you've had taken. Right. We took some family pictures this weekend. How'd that go? Um, well, you know, go no. up, we went up a canyon. Cool. We, Tell us more about it. <clears throat> Why? I mean, we go up a canyon and the photographer has you stand in front Were of things that are- Were you wearing a suit? No. I, I got out of the suit. My wife wanted me to wear a suit and I'm like, I'm going to stand in the mountains in a suit. Well, yeah. So more, you know, more casual. You were, but... were you wearing your overalls again? No, I left the overalls home. Maybe your wife's big fear was that your baby would spit up all over her outfit and it would ruin the family photo. That's mm-hmm. true. Did you have that possum? No. A lot of times you carry that possum up when you go up into the. There mountains. was evidence of deer around, though. <laughs> really? And we had to make sure we didn't scat. Yeah, basically. Pellets. They're everywhere. My wife was wearing heels, which is always great when you're walking through oh, yeah. the underbrush of the canyons and mountains. But the, the the interesting thing was we're out there doing this, and so we're 500 million other I people. Know. It's the season for yep. family pictures. And you know what my fear was? <laughs> wow. And the one woman goes, wow, look at all the dressed up hikers today. <laughs> and isn't it deer hunting season? Um, I'm not sure. Well, you would have known. Well, that would be... I hope you wore your Bang. orange See, vest. It, yeah. It, I think it may start a little bit okay. closer to next week. Now they, they're all up there scouting. Because this was about the time when I was a kid playing Little League football, and you'd have this weird Saturday off in October, and they're, oh, that's the deer hunt. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so deer, all our games would be on Wednesday, so we could go out hunting. Can on you imagine what the deer are weekend. thinking now, though? Like, what's with all these families what taking pictures? Doing? Man, that guy's got a nice shirt on. Is it new? Wow, look at that. That lady's wearing high heels. Those are not sensible shoes for the outdoors. <laughs> I'm going to leave some deer scat right here where they like to pose. Why are they asking them to, to act like they're laughing as a family when obviously <laughs> they don't do that much? I, refu- <laughs> I refuse to believe that you have no fear. No, I have a lot of fears. Okay. Uh, I fear success. I fear failure. I fear having to make a meal Ooh. that people would actually have to live on. Wow. I fear having to do, uh, you know what my biggest fear is? Being obligated to perform in the primary program for Mm. the little, the youngest kids Ah. in the church go up and they do a primary program on Easter and all these things. And if they asked me and they wrote my script and I had to go up and read exactly what they wrote, I would probably rather have a root canal. Hmm. That scares me. How does that? Extend to adulthood. When somebody writes my script yeah. and then they tell me to memorize it, mm. I'd rather have a root canal. Okay. 
Wow. See, this is interesting because what you do for a major part of your living is a lot of people's number one fear, public speaking, right? It doesn't bother me as long as I can make up my words. But when someone else tells me how my words need to be, Ah. then we're in trouble. And that scares me. What about, and then I usually have a breakdown. What about heights? Are you afraid of heights? Only when I'm up there. See, like, I don't <laughs> think about it. But when I get up there, I'm like, goodness, that's high. Well, yeah. It's like it's when I'm looking over and yeah. down. I'm okay if yeah. there's like a guardrail. or right. and Most of the time yeah. in most places in life there is. But there's those times like you're hiking yeah. or whatever and you're on a cliff. You kind of look over like, yeah, it's all right. I'll be back over here. I'm not afraid of heights. It's the falling. It's, a, it's that. Yeah. I'm afraid yeah. of not having – I'm afraid of the fall. So I'm really more afraid of falling, which has already been proven. I so, fell in the Or is it the sudden stop at the end? Which are you? I'm afraid of the stop. Ooh. Is it the middle ground mm-hmm. or the end product of the whole? Or experience? how about the dream where you never stop? You there's, just keep falling. There's that too. So Jerry uh, Jerry Seinfeld brings up a, a, an interesting point. What number one fear for people is public speaking. Number two is death. So if you were at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy any day. No, I love giving the eulogy because then I have the last word. It's really powerful stuff. <laughs> uh, that's our fears, folks. And, you know, everyone's got a few of them, but we just shared ours. Pick Fear of picture taking, fear of falling. We need to get some sharks in here. Fear of the Dodgers losing. We need to broadcast from a mountaintop. Yeah. Not afraid of sharks. We need to face our fears. I'm only afraid of anything that's in front of me. I'm not You're near afraid a shark. of me? Yes. Hmm. Straight ahead, we'll do a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. It's my house, come on! Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his Coaching Corner. You know, as today is Face Your Fears Day, it's time that we learn from some of the experts that have overcome their fears, their concerns. Some quotes from uh, some of the world leaders that uh, have influenced all of us. How about Helen Keller? She said, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. It's pretty amazing. Henry Ford said, one of the greatest discoveries a man makes, one of his great surprises, is to find that he can do what he is afraid he couldn't do. And I truly believe that. In the end, we all will overcome um, our greatest fears. Uh, Here's a wonderful quote by Nelson Mandela. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear. By the way, he spent, what, 19 years in prison? Nelson Mandela did, and then came out and became the the uh, the president um, of uh, South Africa. But he, this is said. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Powerful, huh? Um, the eagle has no fear of adversity. We need to be like the eagle and have a fearless spirit of a conqueror. Anyway. Life is uh, – it's, it's real. And fears are natural. They're normal. And a lot of them really are just in your head. <laughs> they're just in your head as Napoleon Hill says. Fears are nothing more than a state of mind. And if we push you to an extreme, you'll overcome the fear in a second. If you have something else to replace it with, a healthier thought, a better thought, a deeper thought, a higher thought. So let's use our thoughts to overcome our fears. How about that? This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Terry South and Jeff Simpson. The gang is gathered and uh, happy Face Your Fears Day. We just talked last hour about our biggest fears, uh, losing the Dodgers, losing nachos being eaten by someone else by someone other else. than me. Yeah. None of us really here have the fear of heights. It's the fear of falling from great heights that we tend to worry most about. I think if you were to go on a roller coaster or, you know, a ride where there's big dips like that, yeah. there's that initial unsettling yeah. feeling that you get in your stomach. And then it kind of goes away after a couple of seconds. Yeah, it goes away is a nice way to put it. It goes away and your terrified screams replace it. A lot of that depends on if you had nachos, which with you... <laughs> That's another good point. You, Yeah, you would have had nachos on board. So we got to face our fears. And some things you're not afraid of. But like, for example, how about a fast-moving fire that's destroying Napa Valley and other parts of California? It's crazy what's going on in California as uh, fires. I mean, it's it's actually multiple fires, like nine, I think, nine or ten fires or so. But then the winds pick up and then it just blows through a subdivision. 1,500 buildings are ruined. 150 people are missing. 11 people dead. Crazy stuff that's going on. We always we always have these disasters and catastrophes, but it's almost like we kind of get used to fires. But this is a fire that's taking lives. This is a fire that's not out just in the desert somewhere. And I hope people are taking this seriously because, you know, you have people that just refuse to leave. You hear the warnings and you think, oh, I'm going to be all right. But why risk it? Yeah, seriously. Why risk life and limb? Um it's uh, California wildfires, again, f- fueled by some wicked hurricane force winds as well. So not a good combination there. We've got a lot to cover today. Of course, uh, we'll be getting to um, BYU Sports Nation later in the show. We're also going to be talking about why the, the real reason children are misbehaving. There's there's some pretty interesting uh, information behind why your kids behave misbehave and why they might behave better at times. So That'll be a great interview we'll be revisiting. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country that we should be paying attention to? Authorities say at least 10 people have died. More than 1,500 structures have been destroyed. At least 14 fires rage across eight counties in Northern California. Tens of thousands of residents have evacuated from their homes in Napa, Sonoma, and Yuba. Uh, Montesino and other counties north of San Francisco combined five of the largest fires have burned more than 70,000 acres and entire subdivisions like Coffee Park in Santa Rosa have burnt to the ground. Uh, while there is a substantial amount of rain last winter, the vegetation in the area is still dry due to years-long drought. The flames are moving swiftly thanks to high winds, warm temperatures, and low humidity. And the smoke is reaching San Francisco and San Jose. Many of the fires started Sunday night and officials are investigating the cause. Mm. As there were no storms in the area. So. Crazy. Plus up in Anaheim as well. Yeah, there's storms all across the state. They, I, I saw some, uh, they do the nighttime satellite photos, and you can see all the, the light coming oh. off all these fires in, in California. So Amazing. Uh, in other news, the Puerto Rico recovery. Nearly three weeks after Hurricane Maria made landfall in Puerto Rico, the island is still very much in crisis. Electricity, 15% of the island has power. Roughly 28% of cell towers have been restored. 
Oh, wow. Which hampers recovery because you can't communicate well. Food, approximately 77% of grocery stores are open, up from 65% on Friday. 40% of the island still without drinkable water. Unbelievable. Roughly 78% of retail gas stations are operational, is what this is saying. The official death tolls remain at 36, but the actual number is expected to be much higher, with uncounted bodies being found in places that still have no way to communicate. Oh, Back wow. to the lack of electricity. Yeah. Fed, uh, federal staffing, more than 19,000 uh, 19, uh, federal civilian personnel and military service members, including more than 1,395 FEMA personnel, are on the ground in Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Only 392 miles of Puerto Rico's 5,000 miles of roads are open. All airports and federally mandated ports are open or open with restrictions. And again... So you get it to the port, but that doesn't mean you get it inland. And now with the Jones Act expiring after yeah. its 10 days, <laughs> now it's hard to get stuff to the port. Wow. And all, all hospitals, there's 67 of them, are open and operating, but only 25 are working with electricity. The others remain on backup power systems, and most are without air conditioning. 96% of dialysis centers are open, but several are still running on generators. Now, this let me get this straight. This yeah. is a this is some eighth world country that doesn't belong to anyone and is just out in the middle of nowhere? No, this is uh, the United States. Oh. It's a territory. Territory of the United States. Yeah. With representatives and they pay taxes? Yes, they do. I mean, not apparently en- enough. Yeah. According to some, but that's well, there's tragic. Some, there's some taxes they pay, not all taxes. Yeah, yeah. They're but, not taxed the same way you and I are, right. but they do pay taxes in some sort. And they are citizens of the country. Yeah. Many are actually moving because there's just like, how are we going to rebuild from this? So they're moving to the United States, and uh. and the Puerto Rican uh, population in the countries are ends up there's a, a large population in New York and a large population in Florida. Would we would we and there's tolerate a, there's other this? Places. Would we tolerate this in the Keys? Oh no, that's the United States. Uh, They're down there fixing those right now. From would Irma. we tolerate this like in Galveston? No, it's Texas. Okay, how about would we tolerate this in the Napa Valley? No, that'll be rebuilt like in a week. Weird. Well, hmm. not. But you know what I mean. There'll be yeah. an effort to, to get that back. Well, we yeah. tolerate it in Puerto Rico. Well, it's it's tough. It's an island. It's territory. It's an island. And, with and a really big ocean. Really, did we know the hurricane was coming? Yeah, we actually did. Oh. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, in other news, President Trump has insisted that an NBC report alleging that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, in a moment of frustration, called Trump a moron, or actually something worse, as we yeah. found out later, is uh, fake news. But if Tillerson did happen to say something along those lines, Trump clarified that there there is no comp- uh, competition when it comes to the IQ department between Tillerson and Trump. <sighs> the comment came in a wide-ranging conversation with Forbes published Tuesday. Trump counterpunches, in this case, firing a shot at Secretary Tillerson, who reportedly called his boss a moron. He goes, I think it's fake news, but if he did that, I guess we'll have to compare IQ tests, and I can tell you who's going to win. But he didn't tell us. No. but he So left. maybe it's not him. <laughs> he left Holy cow. That's, and again, so it's the battle port- between the president of the United States and the secretary of state. It's, yeah. really, it's really one-sided because yeah. the secretary of state's busy. Well, I mean, allegedly he made a comment. Yeah, and in July. But may also be that just may be fake news. Could be. 
But if it's fake news yeah. and you perpetuate fake news, <laughs> right. then you're actually your own enemy. Right, yeah. Why is he taking this so seriously? I mean, how many times do we call our name? Why do we we call our best friends' names? We call our spouses' names. No, we well, no, we don't. Huh? Wow, what kind no. of relationship huh? are you in? <laughs> yeah, no. What's you going do on? that? Yeah. Well, that explains a lot. Oh, okay. That's why she calls me. Matt all the has time. some office time after the show. Yeah. If you'd like to let's discuss, get, let's but you're right. You I mean, you're with your friends. You'll say things. It's no big deal. You moron. Like that. In the heat of the moment, people say things. Maybe you're playing sports with them. You moron. Like that. There, there's a possibility that someone just can't move on. I've never called my wife a moron. Let's no put way. that on the record. And I think yeah. I think the rest of the nation, the people that keep talking about it, namely me, don't let it move on because it's kind of funny. Well, again, it would move on if we just never mentioned it again. Ah. Like that's one of the great – you don't burn down the cathedral okay. to boil an egg. Okay, sure. I'm not familiar with that term. That's an interesting uh, – that's, yeah. uh, that's a PR – I learned that in PR school. Mm. You don't burn down the cathedral or maybe it's to cook an egg. Ah. You don't. So – is it a duck egg, or are we no, going just no, a regular maybe chicken? Maybe an ostrich egg. No, but so oh. so so. Oh, wow. What the point is? It's is like a meal in itself. Instead of just don't bring it up again. Don't if you if you let it die, it'll die down. But if you keep if you keep bringing it up and you keep throwing bigger things after it, eventually you're going to gain nothing. You don't gain anything burning down the cathedral to hmm. cook an egg. So now, as we found out in events of the of the past few days, yeah. You'll if you turn on CNN, they're probably discussing who exactly has a higher IQ, yeah, the president or the secretary of state. When that's really not the issue. Well, yeah, and what do any of us gain if we are in that battle? Yeah, it's just it's juvenile. It is. It's when you see your it's when you see your kids fighting over something that is just so silly, and you know in one minute you're going to ground both of them, hmm. and then you're going to take it. You're, so they're fighting you're over the candy, yeah. and then you know you're going to ground them, and then you're going to eat their candy. It's kids and then couples that have been married for like 30-plus years. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty much the fight you see here. It's just crazy. And again, people could say, well, yeah, but if the media wouldn't cover it. Hold it. Yeah. He, in an interview with Forbes, he's you perpetuating don't, Just don't thing. bring it up. Yeah. Just say, Rex and I are great friends. We are one. Mm. And Next just question. M- move on. It's it's really Next question. Um, and finally, yeah, uh, we're talking about facing your fears today. Yeah, okay. I fear not enough people are watching the new Star Wars trailer that came out last night. Holy cow! Yeah, that was big. Now, right during the NFL game, there, right? there were questions on who actually won that game last night. What's the question? The question was the, it the Star Wars trailer or was it the who even won? Like the Bears? Who no, won? the Vikings. The Vikings. I don't the even Bears. know who won. At the time, at halftime, the score was three to two. There was a <laughs> wow. field goal and a safety, and I'm like, really? And then all of a sudden, the stormtroopers walk on the field yeah. in Minneapolis. Oh, they, I didn't see that. Yeah, they part. had stormtroopers there. How cool! They turned this into a huge marketing thing, and then the, the play-by-play guy was standing there, kind of with this look on his face. And now did the this, thing you've all been waiting for. Uh, hold on, did they the kneel? Trailer. Did this? Did the stormtroopers kneel? No, they didn't <laughs> kneel for the anything. Okay, they were playing the imperial anthem, though. It's the march, but you know what I mean. Everybody stands for the imperial anthem. Oh, of course, anthem. it's an American. Well, I original. think I think you'll actually be lightsabered if you don't. Right. So then they show the trailer, and then they come back, and the guy goes, 
There you go. As you can see the excitement from my friend, the stormtrooper, and the guy just stood there. <laughs> All right, back with more from halftime. <laughs> but then it's there was amazing, a lot of emotion coming out. But of there it. was a lot of excitement. My son even said, "Hey, here's the new trailer. Do you want to watch it?" Yeah. And my first answer, no. Yeah. And then I thought of Terry, and mm. I thought I probably ought to watch it. It's for, sure. It's for, for Terry's sake. It's yeah. for the show. And then yeah. I thought it's work. Yeah. And then about almost two thirds through, I'm like, okay. Really? I think I got it. You weren't I, just enthralled by no, everything? I, it's all new. There's new concepts, new ideas. But they have those ideas. big walking robots in that one. Yeah. The big walking... They had them in the other ones, too. Walker walks. They're but, different, though. Yeah. Well, I purposely did not watch it. Oh, wow. Well, 9.5 million by this point have watched it. I think there needs to be more. It's only... It hasn't even been out 24 hours is, yet, is, so now, I think Is we this can actually called a trailer, or is this a pre-trailer? No, this is the trailer. This, oh, this is the yeah, trailer. Yeah, this is the real trailer. Yeah, I, I didn't... I didn't understand it. That was they edit it as we've seen from Rogue One. The edits in the trailer don't actually reflect what the movie is going to be. They're yeah. leading you in different directions. So, little things I I, I saw there. There's an ice. Hold on, are we going to keep talking about yes. this? Yes. Okay. There's an ice fox. These these you'll notes see, are alphabetized. You'll, you'll notice too. You'll see, Page one. You'll see an ice <laughs> fox running around. There's like some some oh, different alien yeah. creatures. It's kind of interesting to see. I so like if you're different. into animals, there's going to be something yeah. there for you. Uh, animals that don't exist. Okay. It's crazy. Um, there's a modified X-wing fighter. You'll need to look for that. It's in some of the battle scenes. But if modified, you pause, like meaning it's... change from the original, change from the last oh, movie. You can't do that. The Avoid your warranty. Yeah. There's an updated Imperial Walker that you were talking about. Yeah, is that what those are called? Yeah, so before it kind of looked like you're, like if you're on all fours and you're walking on the palms of your hands, yeah. these look like they're walking on their knuckles. Okay, I got, so it's more I got a question, rubber. just kind of a technical question. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. So they have, they have spaceships yes. that can act as a planet. Well, one. And then they have uh, X-wing fighters. But they blew it up, remember? So that, that's yeah. Right. yeah but, right. but they have Spoiler all this technology, alert. and they have lightsabers. Yeah. But they still designed a machine that walks like yeah an arthritic uh-huh. dog. <laughs> it's got cannons. It's okay. It just seems like that was kind of a dumb. Oh, yeah. I mean, why would you go with the quadruped? When you could just use... And then they launch some tow like rope and wrap up the legs and drop yeah. it. Yeah. That was always the best part on the video game, too. Oh, yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It was fun to play. The okay. Lego video game. I'm just game, wondering. You oh. do it on the Lego video game, too. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> um, just, just a little aside there. Uh, yeah. Kylo Ren, who's like the bad guy, right? He, he, he may kill his mom. <gasps> well, Princess Leia. Out of, maybe out of necessity. Uh, because the, the actress who portrays Leia is no more. Right? But again, they they so, creatively edit things to make it look like something's happening, and then when you get to the movie, that's not. So Kylo happening. Ren's uh, uh, Darth Vader? No, no, he's Darth Vader's grandkid. He's already committed patricide. Yeah, he killed his father. He, what he's his got? father was? You saw yeah. the movie? Yeah, but I don't remember it. Uh, help me with this one. Luke yeah. Skywalker was in it. He's in it. Yeah. How he's did teaching Luke, where Ray. did Luke lose his hand? Again, that was in Empire Strikes Back. You know, the, the, One of the most famous fifth, scenes from any of the movies. Movie. Yeah, he's like, "You're not my father." Oh. No, and he falls off the space station, and then they catch him and okay. takes off. And the because I forgot that, and they showed his his. You know. Have you seen the behind the the photos? His robotic arm behind the scenes photos of that scene where he he's actually jumping down on a bunch of mattresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a bunch of like pretty pillows, cool. and yeah, yeah. Are, okay. are you done geeking oh, There's out? one more. Ray, Ray, who's our, our hero. Ray, the golden, the drop she's, of golden she's sun. She's last seen on the island with Luke. 
holding his lightsaber, and he's all, what? Luke! Who are you? I am your daughter. In the in the trailer, they edit it. That, Is that like, his daughter? Somehow she's reaching out to the evil Kylo Ren for uh, some sort of understanding and being... You know, having this cousins? sort of power, we don't know we what their association know. is, but they have a connection of some kind. Do they date? No, but they they had a force battle. Does come, it say? Come does, again? <laughs> does it say whether Finn is the child of Lando Calrissian? It doesn't say, but he's ah. in there, and he's got like a lightsaber, a sword looking thing. Is it's it just because cool. he's the only African American? Wow. No, everybody's speculating that. Oh, I, 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 mostly pretty... because I think they want to see Billy D. Williams in the Star Wars franchise again. They uh, want him uh, back, and uh, they uh, want his children, so then they can have like a Thanksgiving dinner. Oh yeah, yeah. that it. would be the most awkward Thanksgiving dinner with Darth Vader, Kylo Ren. Don't you think though? If you took all of their helmets off, you'd see that it was really a diverse, multicultural group of stormtroopers well he's hide- hideously disfigured well, the interesting oh, thing about the star the interesting thing about the stormtroopers is in the original three they might have been clones yeah right the original three they were clones then in the next three which were actually the first three but we're not going to get into that uh-huh then it it's unclear if they were still clones or if they had shifted to actual like humans but it looks like in the, the, the next set of three that they're doing now that they're just resorting to kidnapping people yeah. and turning them into stormtroopers. Well, and you remember the one where they were in the snow and the guy had to Empire cut open the – They were snow clones there. Snow clones? Uh-huh. OK. Well. Hmm. I saw that snow one. Snow stormtroopers are – Snow clones. I think there were snow cones too. Yeah. As I'm sitting here thinking, I'm wondering, you know, we're having a conversation, uh, and I think so am I. Two thirds of us are probably into it, um, <laughs> but I'm just wondering what the listeners are thinking. I think they're all like, "Wow, I should go see that trailer. It sounds awesome." It's, you know, it's still just a trailer. I need to get it over 12 million before the eight o'clock tonight. You? Wow! Wait, so I think it's a personal. This goal. sounds like an ultimatum. If the listeners do not go and watch this trailer. Terry's going to keep talking about it. That's right. Until day. it reaches a certain threshold. Rather that they just keep watching our show or listening to our well, show. Well, you could listen, but there'd be more tidbits of information from the trailer because I've only watched it like four times. So the more He's I watch it, the, show hostage. the more information I can pull from this. You know what? Hmm? I liked it better when you were like really into those, uh, what are they called? Food stories? Pokemon. Oh. The Pokemon? That was like, that was a few days. That at least kept you moving. Yeah. Now Not, you just sit in and, there and watch the trailer that was, over and I over. could play it from the studio. Okay. So it was convenient. It was the whole like getting out and walking around part of that Pokemon craze that just started to ruin it. Oh. Like physicality? Ugh. Blasted. Okay. Well, let's do this. Uh, we Let's go to some empty news. Um, the, something crazy is going on in Alaska. Yeah, and uh, it's kind of bugging me. For some reason, the victims are uh, being blamed, not blamed for it, but they're the ones that are going to have to take responsibility for it. I mean, Alaska, the the, the last frontier. Yeah, it's true. Thank you. I thought, I thought that was Star Trek. I thought that was Star Trek. Or yeah, <laughs> new yellow painted highway lines in southeast Alaska are crooked. What? And the paint that's been used by state transportation officials has stained cars. Officials said. Has it? Well, yeah. 
There's <laughs> yellow. You know, just listen, to, listen to this. So the problems emerged after the State Department of Transportation tried out a new line painting, painting system. Department spokeswoman Meadow Bailey said the paint is not drying as quickly as it should due to humidity in southeast Alaska. Bailey said the state will not repaint the yellow lines. She also said people with cars that got paint on them should have the vehicles pressure washed. Oh, right there, who's paying for that? Uh, yeah, exactly. The people. If the car if the car washes don't work, she recommended spraying WD forty WD forty lubricant on areas stained with yellow paint. So not only do they have to pay to wash their car, they have to pay for the WD forty. Oh brother! But it gets worse. The lubricant should be left on cars for up to two hours before washing them. And if that does not work, she said, they should put a liberal coating of Vaseline on the car. Really? Yeah. On the whole car? Does that even work? It sounds like someone's like just Googling things. She's messing with you. Try this. Should be left on the cars overnight before getting the vehicles pressure washed. So they're not going to pay for it. They're not going to repaint the lines. And uh, she's... Treating it like it's their fault. She's going to recommend a mixture of hummus and lime juice next because that's really what can get the stain out. Oh, ice, you know, like ice helps to get bubble gum out. It could get that stain out of there. Well, then it'll be fine because there's going to be salt and ice all over those roads in the next little while. Plus, the lines are crooked. So is that not a problem? Like, do do you follow the crooked line or do you just stay in your lane? Because... Now, all of a sudden, my lane is in both lanes. This reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where Kramer uh, adopts. He does the Adopt a Highway program, and he takes it upon himself to repaint the lines on that stretch of the freeway. And so it goes from a four-lane highway to a two-lane highway, <laughs> and Elaine is enjoying the luxurious lanes. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. Maybe they can just put up traffic cones. Just like our commute. It's great. With traffic cones, you know exactly where to go. Look, as a guy – that's right. As a guy, though, that grew up in a print shop, mm. when you, the paint well, wasn't drying – When did this happen? When I was a kid. My dad owned a sign company. Why have you never shared this story? It's very personal. OK. Well, you share a lot of stories. You don't share that one. Yeah. Did you know, Matt, Jeff, that he had worked in a print shop? So my entire life – Yeah, you were an apprentice, right? Uh, well, we called my – my dad called me a child laborer. <laughs> <laughs> but we learned that you could just – there's the special powder you could put on the ink that would dry it. And then you could like take a hair dryer and – Like what? Pixie sticks? Kool-Aid? So what? what they need to do is they need to get some road crews out there, put some of this special powder and it would dry the ink. Like and a then talc? A it's talc like a of talc, some kind? It's, 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 but I think it, it's sold as special. Oh, of course. Magical powder dust. Got to upsell. I think it's from the ground out uh, horn of a unicorn. Oh, of course. And um, then you then they just get a hair dryer, and they just could take a hair dryer right down that line and dry each one out. I mean, what would that take? Hmm. A couple months. Problem fixed. What's the big deal? We can't solve every problem here. But we will be talking about the reason children misbehave. That's straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on BYU Radio. Hey, Miss Haven, save my love for you. Mama, I know for certain the one love Welcome back, friends. 
You know, as parents, one of the most frustrating parts of the day can be dealing with troublesome kids. You feel like you're asking them nicely, but yet they still don't seem to want to listen. Why do our children misbehave, and how do they learn this behavior? A few months back, I spoke with Thomas Winterman, author of the book The Thrive Life, and uh, he joins us uh, this morning to help us discuss the topic of children and their sometimes wild behavior. I began the interview asking about uh, how much a child's behavior is kids being bad, and how much is it just kids being kids? I think the the biggest thing that we can take from children's behavior is that it's a form of communication. And uh, for most children, it's really one of the only ways they know how to communicate, especially when you're talking about the younger children, mm-hmm. the ones who are you know under five years old. The behaviors that you see, they're trying to tell you something and you know, when it's misbehavior, they're not telling you in a way that you want to hear it, but they're trying to communicate some sort of need to you. That's interesting. Yeah, it's because it, you'd say, just use your words, Timmy. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't hurt your sister. But they're trying to communicate frustration or some need, right? Absolutely. And um, as with all children, there are developmental implications as well. Um, a child who is under five years old is is really developmentally not going to understand the concept of sharing. Um, they can understand if I don't share, I won't have free time, or if I don't share, I'll end up in time out. Hmm. But they really don't get the idea that, hey, other people's feelings matter, and that's why I need to share. Those, it's the higher level of thinking that we as adults have, and we automatically attribute to children, even though they might not be there yet. That's interesting. Some ideas are just too abstract. They can see how it applies to them, what they'll lose, what they will benefit from. But in fact, is that what you call the little adult syndrome? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. Um, we tend to look at kids as being just smaller versions of adults, and we expect them to think like adults, to act like adults, to have adult rationale and to be able to understand what's going on at a level that they're just not really capable of yet. Mm. So it really is about managing expectations. Talk about um, what what we really can hold our children to. What what can we expect and what can't we expect or shouldn't we expect? Well, as you know, all parents have their own rules and their own limits, but there should be a set of behaviors that are just off limits. You know, we like to try to show empathy and understand what our children are doing and really reach out to them and get the message beneath the behavior. But at some point when it becomes a safety concern, you know, they're harming others, they're harming themselves. At that point, as the parent, as the adult, you have to intervene and you really have to get them out of that really strong emotional state before you can start reasoning with them. Yeah, because once the emotion kicks in, it's a whole different game. And then it seems like we react to their reaction, right? Oh, so, absolutely. so, So once they're getting amped up, we start becoming more and more offended or even reactive ourselves, which seems problematic. Absolutely. And then you have um, two people having a temper tantrum. You know, you've got the kid temper tantrum, and then you've got the adult temper tantrum on the side going on. Is it... And I guess this is just developmental. This is normal. We, we we should probably expect it. And I guess we kind of expect it with a three or four year old, except we, you know, we still call it terrible twos and right. terrible threes and terrible fours. And but in reality, they're just they are doing what they do. It's That's it's right. really the adult that needs to to see it the the healthy way, the proper way, 
and um, I, I guess, right, and manage our expectation instead of just automatically assuming they'll think like us. And it's really about the mindset, you know, being a parent or any adult that works with children. It's about your mindset going in, what your expectations are, and what you really want to see out of a child behavior-wise. Hmm. Do, I, I guess, one thing with a kid, but if I'm seeing behaviors uh, with my older children, my teens, my my adolescents, they, they, they can get this, right? I can expect more from them and... And then, and then I guess, how do I make sure we're on the same page as far as expectation? It's difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's difficult. And, you know, parents, as a parent myself, we put ourselves under way too much pressure. We want our kids to be perfect. We want them to grow up to be happy. And we want them to behave and everything to go smoothly. And when it doesn't, it can be very frustrating as a parent. And that's when we start to get really down on ourselves. Um, and we start looking inward at the way we're parenting as being the problem when a lot of this stuff is just normal behavior. And with the older kids, there's an exaggerated need for independence that starts to develop. They really need their freedom. And as the parent, you're worried about the mistakes they might make with said freedom. So you're trying to hold them close. Mm -hmm. But you have competing needs. As a parent, when you have a teenage child, a lot of times the parent is feeling the child pull away and they feel their need for love really being threatened. And so subconsciously, a parent will fight a child's need for independence with their own need for love. And that's where the power struggle comes in. So true. I, and it's almost, I don't know, I have six kids and you see it. There's just a certain time where you look at a teenage kid and you realize, I think he hates me. <laughs> but he really doesn't. He's just trying to exert independence and right. and be his own man, be himself, you know, but he'll still be back in 10 minutes for the car keys Yeah. after he told you your car's not a good enough car. (laughs) (laughs) So I I guess part of that is not taking the bait because like you were mentioning earlier, we do take the bait and then we become, I don't know, angry and reactive. And then then I end up disciplining out of reactivity instead of out of, you know, what's my goal? What's my goal for this discipline? Right. And I think that as parents, uh, we've all been there. You know, we, we lose sight of the purpose of parenting, and it becomes more corrective than it is teaching. Um, and it's really easy for me to sit here and talk about it, but when my six-year-old had a really bad day at school and is being disrespectful, it's hard for me to step back and be as objective about it as I am now, so I understand the difficulty. Um, but the whole purpose of parenting is to teach, and you can't teach unless mistakes are made. Right. And then we almost scare them out of having a mistake, making a mistake, or sharing it with us. Right. Because we're so temperamental about it. I mean, in a way, I've noticed, um, even in my own parenting, when my child is doing something that uh, is embarrassing, I even if it's age-appropriate, if it's embarrassing to me personally, I can be offended just simply because of how it impacts me personally, not even how it's impacting anyone else. How do I, as a parent, create that space so I'm not as offended, I'm not as reactive to my child? That's very difficult, and that's a great question. I think that's a process. That's not something that comes naturally. And as people in general, we tend to be self-critical. 
and we take our children and think of them as a reflection of who we are. Right. So, you know, when we're at the mall and, you know, you've got your kid with you and they're, they're little and they start the temper tantrum and you start looking around and noticing people and then you start, you know, you feel that you're getting red-faced a little bit, you're starting to get mad, it's hard to step back and think, okay, my child needs, needs something right now and they're trying to tell me what they need, and it's easy to be reactive and just get out of the situation. But with practice... It's something that we can be a little more mindful about and maybe just get a little better each day. You know, Mm -hmm. we're not going to go from one end of the spectrum to the other immediately, but it takes time and it takes practice. Yeah, and and a little more awareness of what's going on with a little bit of practice here and there creates the space uh, between my mood, my reaction, my day, what they say, and and my response to it. Uh, Let's take a break. We're speaking with Thomas Winterton, and uh, Thomas is a, a social worker, a clinical counselor, he lives in Panama City, Florida with his family. He's also a therapist there. He wrote the book The Thrive Life, and he's here talking about an article in Psych Central that he authored, The Reason Children Misbehave. We'll be right back, folks. Continue the discussion. Find out some more tools and rules as a parent to, to manage our misbehaving children. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, create a healthier, happier family. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is Thomas Winterton, author of the book The Thrive Life. He's here today discussing an article that he wrote about uh, the reason children misbehave. That article is in psychcentral.com is where you can find it. We appreciate you being back with us. Thanks, Thomas. Sure. Thank you. So talk to us about what we do. If we see the child's misbehaving and we, you know, we've effectively created a space so we're not, we're not reacting to it and just blowing up to the misbehavior. What are some of the tricks of the trade that we can use to communicate and to make sure we're, we're focusing on the right thing? Well, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of times as parents, when our children are having problems, we tend to make it about us. You know, we right. say, stop it, you're embarrassing me, or, you know, you're making this worse for us. We'll say those sorts of things when really what's going on has to do more with the child than with us. So there's an inward situation that's happening, and your number one goal should be to calm that emotional storm. Um, And we see this some with the older kids, but this is, again, mostly with the younger children. When they start misbehaving, they start getting upset, they will sort of cycle down to the point where they're inconsolable, they won't hear reason, and there's really no way to calm them. And at that point, that becomes your goal. You want to make eye contact. You want to reflect their feeling. Um, use whatever feeling word you can come up with. You know, you look like you're very sad, mad, scared. And just be there with them and have a really close physical presence to let them know that you're there, everything's okay, and it's safe. And then once all that is gone, you can address the problem. You can reason with them. You can talk about what they need to do next time. But they have to exit that emotional state before they're even ready to hear any of that. So true. And so really you have to, even if you've got brilliant advice that they need to hear or they will eventually, you know, be killed in an alley because they're not paying attention to you, even if it's brilliant advice, it doesn't matter if they're already overwhelmed, angry, and frustrated. You need to get into their pain and figure out what that pain is communicating. 
And that's exactly right. And they will they will not only not listen to logic, they will be illogical themselves. Right. You know, they will say things that don't make any sense. You never love me. You don't do anything for me. And it's real tempting as a parent to pull out the scorecard. Right. Say, well, hold on a second. What? I remember last Christmas when, you know, I got you X, Y, Z. But they don't mean what they're saying. It, it's coming just from an emotional state from a place where they're very upset, and there's just no logic to it in the moment. So so true. Um, and I guess, I mean, another key to this is, like you're saying, make eye contact, get into their story, and I hold your story back. I mean, the, I guess the big key I'm learning is don't react. My story is irrelevant until they're open to hearing it. And that's exactly right. And if they feel that you are not actually listening to what they're saying, it'll get worse. And then you'll get more upset, and then they'll get more upset, and we have this communication pattern that's real negative and is not helping the situation at all. What do I do if they are, you know, they're doing something at the store, they're tipping something over, and they need to be stopped? How do I do that without using, like, intense physical or verbal you know, engagement. Right. Um, sometimes you have to go there. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, you know, sometimes the situation calls for it and you have to go there. But um, the best thing you can do is try to remove them from the situation. And that's not always possible. You know, the best case scenario is you could disappear into a restroom and you can have a conversation or you can step outside. But if that's not possible as a parent, you know, you have to do what you have to do, um, you know, inside the laws of child abuse right. to contain the situation. And again, remembering you're the adult. Right. right. I mean, yeah. in the end, what's your excuse? Right. The kid has an excuse if they're five. <laughs> they're five. <laughs> your excuse is, well, he did this, but, you know, they, yeah, you, you, you got to reach him. over stuff with them. That's not a good look. Right. Never is, is it? <laughs> and I guess, too, you got to know, I always talk about how you got to know what you want the relationship to be like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. in order to know how to treat them today. If I don't care right. about tomorrow, then I'm just going to blow through today with them. But right. if I if I know I want a close, tight relationship with them, I need to remember that today. Right. Right this minute. Mm. Any other advice as we wrap it up? Uh, what would you say is the one thing? I always like to focus on the one thing that a parent can do today to to understand the misbehavior better um, and also maybe even handle it better. I would say to look for the meaning. Look for the meaning of what's going on behind their temper tantrum or their misbehavior. And most of the time, kids don't know. We want an answer from them. Why are you acting like this? Why would you do that? Why would you yell at me? And they might not not even know. They might not be able to verbalize it. But if you take a step back and try to understand what's going on and try to look for the meaning, you can be a little more empathetic in the future. Yeah, something will be there. And, and it'll edify you. It'll enlighten you. And they'll feel understood. Thomas Winterton, Winterman, thank you so much for your work and uh, your help in understanding why children be, misbehave. Thank you for having me. Keep up the great work. Again, go find the book, The Thrive Life. It's here. Uh, and it's a great uh, resource for all of us as parents. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, friends. A little I Love L.A. from Randy Newton. Of course, it's uh, it's Jeff's backhanded way of celebrating the Dodger victory. Again, frustrating all the Diamondback fans. But let's shoot it down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem, to find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Shooter. What's going on, Matt? <laughs> Whoa, you better watch out. There's a cougar right next to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go Cougars. I saw you both walk by. You look great. Hey, thank you. Seriously oh, good. Me. Those spanks really work. <laughs> Aren't they amazing? They really are. Hey, question for you. Yes. Did you guys watch the uh, the Bears-Vikings um, game, or did you just watch the halftime of the Bears-Vikings game? I saw highlights from the game you are referencing right now. Did you see the highlights on the trailer reel, and are you impressed with Star Wars' new trailer? Um, can I be completely honest with you? Yes, please do. I have not watched the trailer. What? No. You just offended Terry. I know, right? I've offended a lot of people. <laughs> it's the darndest thing. Sometimes you have kids that need attention at night and aren't going to sleep so, and sick and stuff, and so you just you kind of space it. You couldn't just hold your child while you watched it? <laughs> like, okay. I'm telling you, I, I totally forgot about it. Yeah. Did you guys know that Darth Vader's dead? Wait, what? What? Yeah. Tell your sister you were right. (laughs) (laughs) Jerem's like doing all the voiceover work today. Spencer. Who, what? I want to tell you something. Okay. I don't care that you haven't seen the trailer. That's okay. Because I bought us tickets, luxury seat, to go see it. I'm not even even kidding. You and I. Are you serious? That is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. That's like a date. You can go with me. I have two sets of luxury seat tickets. Count me in. Okay, and my wife's flying out uh, the 14th of December to go to Portland. And then it comes know. out on the 15th. And it comes out on the night of the 14th. Oh. So we can go at 10.45 p.m. Okay. Or we can go Monday in the afternoon. At nope, let's go at 10.45. Okay. okay. Oh, my heavens, you guys. I, I feel honored <laughs> to be able to witness this. This is like a bonding. This is like great okay. love. You're the guy. I honestly had not brought that up until right now. That's awesome. I mean, for a second, I thought you were going to ask me to go. Well, for that Monday afternoon, maybe maybe you're the guy. We'll see. I mean, you did pick me up in the parking lot. I did. Yeah, I gave you a ride of a hundred feet. <laughs> it was the it was the shortest. You ride. were on a walk, and I'm yeah. like, "Do you want to ride?" It took you longer to put your seat forward than it did to actually drive me to the door. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be rude or anything. Okay, so guys, you're still doing your show today, right? Absolutely, I think so. we are. What what are you going to talk about? BYU is one and seven. Should we still do this? They show? are. No, no, no. no. I mean, in if. two games. Oh, oh yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If if they, if they yeah, they won't. Yeah. No, they, they'll win this one, right? BYU will uh, beat East Carolina. Yeah, I I don't see BYU beating Mississippi State if the current method of footballing <laughs> happens. Okay, but if BYU has a change, uh, I, I could see BYU being competitive if they change some. Things, but it's gonna. It's a tall order. It really is. Ah, uh, it really is. Ah, do you guys um, think it's really it's impacting recruiting? There's a couple of stories in the news about people going choosing to go to the U. Or well, apparently it already has, right? Yeah, yeah. I I mean, there. The, I think it affects the fence sitters. I don't think it affects the people that really want to be BYU. Yeah, be BYU. The faithful. 
Um, but yeah, you want to get some high level guys, and when your offense is really bad, it's hard to be like, yeah, come here. Things are going really swell. Yeah. Um, so I I get it from some people, you know. Um, yeah, Utah got a couple of them, so that you know the local guys that hurts, of course. But they're gonna be those that uh, don't want to don't want to see it as it currently is and don't have the vision beyond the moment, right? And yeah. They'll do what they're gonna do. Some people want to go to another school. That's fine. Everyone doesn't have to go to BYU. Just BYU's going to get the best players they can get, and they'll go from there. Yeah, I think that was and they're getting some said. good players. And by the way, you'll take any new recruit to Star Wars, right? You'll go uh, you'll, if compliance is down with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you'll do it in Totes. a legal way, of course. Yeah, ethical, Totes, moral way. Bruh. Uh, what else is on the show today? Today's mm. an interesting mm-hmm. discussion. We're going to say. We're gonna, going to discuss who is the best option at quarterback for BYU moving forward. Mm. Ty Detmer has named his starter. Is it Ty? Maybe Ty's the guy Speaking that could of compliance, come uh, in. No. Okay, just checking because that'd be fascinating. <laughs> he definitely used up his eligibility. He has. He, he's he's named him. He's named his he starter. Has named. He's and given you, it an, yeah. And you'll give us that name? A name, a name and a blessing. <gasps> wow. It'll be upon the records of the BYU football. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh That's really good. Oh well, you need goodness. both, don't you? <laughs> you know what's funny about that moment in church? So what? If, when you're blessing a baby. Like, what if you just said a different name? Like, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you'll tick your wife off. Oct- Tate, Octavius, Prime, Leonardo, <laughs> Jordan the Third. This doesn't matter. No. Yeah, that would have been. Like, fun. who's like, oh, we have to put these on the records of the church now? Sorry. It's this huge, long name. Really what matters is what you write on the birth certificate at the hospital. Yeah, that's what matters. But you need the blessing, right? You need the blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It says both. Yeah, it's nice. It's a nice moment. I just, I just chuckle at the name part. That's good. I mean, honestly, these are the magical moments that you won't get on BYU Sports Nation. (laughs) (laughs) This is behind the scenes stuff. This is the behind the scenes stuff. (laughs) But happens to be in front of the In front of my, in front of my audience, but. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm glad say, that you guys keep it clean. Yeah, yeah. yeah on yours. We're behind the mic in front of a camera. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Well, it's going to be a great show. I can I can already tell because <laughs> it is the first time we've mentioned such things on the show. So it just means these guys are loose. They're ready to go. Spencer and Jerem, have a great one. Again, five and a half minutes away, no, four and a half minutes away, and you can just sit back and relax and go on the easy train of VOU Sports Nation. Thank you, Thomas. The train. Uh, we just had a little. Uh, that's interesting. Ty Detmer has named the quarterback. Really? And I'm assuming they're going to announce it on that show. Can we bring back Steve Young? Maybe that would help. No, I mean I think that's what they're saying. Like that's against recruiting rules. That's a, they're they're too old. Their eligibility's gone. Darn it! Concern it! Wow, that really you're upset about this. <laughs> You are really angry. And again, I'm bummed about J.J. Watts. He's out for the season. Odell Beckham out for the season. But think about that. As if the NFL wasn't already struggling getting their ratings up, now they have stormtroopers coming off, coming out on the field at halftime. Taking a knee, like you said. Taking a knee. Nothing worse than seeing a bunch of stormtroopers on the sideline during the, the, the anthem of the great empire Taking a knee. The empirical march? The empirical march, yes, right. (laughs) I don't know. I'm not into that stuff. I'm not. I don't even know how to 
talk it. Can't you can't even pretend to fake it. Sorry. Hey, let's get to our hero story. That I know what to do. Two heroes have emerged in Minnesota, an abducted 15-year-old girl and a 65-year-old farmer who found her. Jasmine Block disappeared from her Alexandria home on August 8th, and she was reportedly held for nearly a month in an abandoned house where she says she was physically and sexually assaulted. On September 5th, however, she broke out, swam across the lake, started running. When she got to the other side, it was then Jasmine ran into Earl Meckert, who said he saw a speck rushing toward him uh, in his truck. He tells the New York Times he thought it was first a deer. As she got closer, he realized it wasn't a deer. He also realized he needed some glasses. Um, but uh, eventually he saw it was the missing girl that he had recognized from newscasts and posters around town. He got Jasmine into his truck, called 911, and started driving the teen to the local police station. So huge story, huge heroic act. Two heroes there, really, the 15-year-old girl and the 65-year-old former or farmer. In reality, folks, that's why we all need each other. And that's why we do this program, to make sure that we can always remember how really lucky we are to uh, to be with one another on this great big ball of mud. That's the show. BYU Sports Nation is up next.